the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I think Craig Kimber will be the first guy they move. Look, Jed has made it clear to them, you guys want to keep this thing together? Prove to me it should be together. Well, here they are, like 21 and 21, and they don't have enough pitching. They're just not a good enough team. That was David Kaplan with us yesterday of ESPN 1000 up in Chicago. Cards versus Cubs in St. Louis for the first time since 2019, boys. I can't wait. 30,000 fans in the stands tonight. You got Cubs tonight at 715. Carlos Martinez back out there on the mound. Miles Michaelis is getting a start for the Cardinals tomorrow for the first time since 2019. And Adam Wainwright, Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. Can't wait for this one. Reason why I wanted to play that David Kaplan cut for you. I think the Cardinals can push the Cubs to where they want to go starting this weekend. The Cubs, Jed Hoyer, they are waiting for somebody to force them into a situation where they've got to trade off these stars at the trade deadline. And in the second half of the season, all that does is make the Cardinals job a little bit easier. If Javi Baez or Chris Bryan or Anthony Rizzo, those stars on the Cubs, they can be had if the Cubs are struggling when we get to the trade deadline. The Cardinals can push them a little bit further into that direction. They've got nine games head-to-head in the first half of the season. And Alex, if the Cardinals are able to get a little a, a sweep, take two out of three in most of these next three series, that's going to help them go a long way when we get closer to the trade deadline. So what I just heard you say is if the Cardinals can win this series, they'll get Javi Baez at the trade deadline. Well, not exactly. But yeah, you heard that roundabout way. Yeah, I heard and that. Chris Bryant. Like, you can acquire both of them if and you want Rizzo, to. Rizzo, what the hell? Hey, hey, let's, let's go Rizzo We're good with catcher. We don't, we don't, we, Rizzo can probably play an outfield position. So can Chris Bryant. Javi Baez, we all know where he can play. Look, I'm interested in this one because I'm with you. I, I think the Cubs... Frankly, I think the Cubs era of championship window is over anyway. I mean, you got three guys going into a situation with the offseason where all three couldn't be back. And I believe their GM said yesterday that there still has been no negotiations yet. He's calling it the open door policy. And let's be honest, that open door is basically saying if you want to talk and and take our deal, we'll accept it. But otherwise, walk away. Yeah, if you want to walk through that door and accept what we've already offered previously, that was, quote, insulting. We're giving you pennies. Then go ahead. We'd be happy to have you. We're giving you pennies. So when you want to take it, then by all means. But otherwise, nothing else is happening. So I think it's over. But I do think think 
this would be this would suck the life out of any hope for Cubs fans. And here's why, because they're on a little bit of a win streak right now. I mean, Chris yeah. Bryant in the MVP conversation. I think they've won five of their last six games, if I'm five not mistaken. And the, one of those losses was nine to eight and in 10 innings. So. so they're feeling good right now. They're feeling like if, if I was a Cubs fan right now, which I would never be a Cubs fan. Come on, guys, no, you know better you than this. But if I'm putting myself in their shoes, I'm looking at this saying, OK, this is the last hurrah. Right. Like I got all these guys. If they play well, they skip the trade deadline. They stick with them and maybe they get these guys resigned. Cardinals go out there and just sweep this team away and just say, nah, you're not to our level anymore. I think that's the point where you look at this, like you just said, and say, we need to move on from these guys. And I think that takes the Cubs out of consideration in this NL Central race. And when they disappear, part of me feels like the Cincinnati Reds have already disappeared. Yeah, they got destroyed last night, by the way. They're they only gave up, what, 19? I don't know. They was to the Giants, which, okay, the Giants are good. But Cubs go away. I feel like this is a two-dog race for the NL Central crown, and I for one, would give the Cardinals the advantage. I'm with you. I think this weekend the Cardinals have a chance to show the Cubs, like you guys have said, show them it's time for you to sell that you're on a different level. This is our division, and you're on a different playing field. We're playing chess. You're playing checkers. I I think that's the kind of thing the Cardinals can set as a precedence this weekend, even if it's just taking two of three. But if you take those two of three in uh, dominant fashion, then I think you tell the Cubs, look, we're clearly the favorites here in the NL Central. We've already beaten up the Brewers, and we've beat them with really good real pitching. You don't have that. And your offense is just okay. I think the Cardinals send a message this weekend and tell the Cubs it's time for you to tear this thing down. Yeah, and it's a long play, right? This won't happen. Like, the Cardinals could win these three games by a combined 50 runs this weekend. It's not like the Cubs are going to be selling off their stars by Monday. But if you lose by 50 total runs, you might want to. It'd be impressive. Um, But... If they were to do that and then they back it up again in June when they meet and then again late or early in July when they meet, okay, now you're talking about the Cubs having three series head-to-head against the Cardinals, a legitimate competitor in the postseason where they saw, okay, we're just not at that level. We're not at the same level with the Cardinals. And Jed Hoyer is a smart baseball man. He's going to know at that point it's time. It's time to go ahead and turn the page on this era of Cubs baseball. They're going to go into a downward trajectory over the next few years, and it very well could start with the beginning of this season. It very well could start tonight with Cardinals versus into a bit this stretch of Cubs baseball because we talked about it yesterday. I don't think it's fair to call it a failure. You got a World Series out of it that deems it at least partially a success. They got what their end goal was. They broke the curse in Chicago. I do think it's fair to call it a disappointment, though, because the expectations in Chicago with this group of position players was that the Cubs were going to be a dynasty. They weren't just going to be a one and done. This was going to be like the early 2000s Giants where you get three out of five. It was supposed to be like the early 2000s Yankees where you are the team of the era. It was supposed to be like the Cardinals, frankly, of the early 2000s where you don't go to one, you go to multiple and it sets you up for maybe even a decade of dominance in the division. They didn't do any of that, man. And so I do think it's a little bit of a disappointment, and it brings me to this question for you, Alex. What would make a successful five-year run for the Cardinals now? Because we are entering the next era of what should be a great era of Cardinals baseball. Nolan Arenado signed for the next seven years. Paul Goldschmidt has a few years left on his deal. 
Jack Flaherty at least has three years left here in St. Louis on his deal. Dylan Carlson's about to enter his prime. Alex Reyes is in his prime. What would it require over the next five years in terms of playoff appearances, World Series? What would it take for you to deem this next five years a success for the Cardinals? For me, it starts with a playoff appearance every year. Like, I think if you miss the playoffs once, that's not a success in my opinion. Um, I, I think it comes down to one championship or at least two appearances in the World Series in five years. That would deem a success in my opinion because you have all of the pieces in place. And it would seem that John Mozeliak would be aggressive because he's been aggressive the offseason with Nolan Arenado and pieces that they brought in. It would seem that aggressiveness would be in his future with this team. So, yeah, I would say if I'm looking at a five-year window that starts right now with this team and from what we've seen already, I'm looking at two appearances in the World Series, one championship. I'm pretty cut. I'm comfortable saying that was a success, in my opinion. I'm with you. I, I think that's the perfect way to view this. I, multiple. I, you got to get to multiple World Series? Multiple World Series in two years. I, I Or two of the, Over five. the five. Yeah. Five straight playoff appearances, though. There's no reason that shouldn't be a goal. Yeah, it because starts I, there. I, you look at the division, who's going to be competing with you over five years? Are you going to say Pittsburgh's going to have the talent up there in five years? I don't think so. I look at Milwaukee. Maybe they've got that the pitching, the but they're, they're not going to spend big in the offseason, I don't think. And then you look at the Cubs. They're going to tear this thing down. The Reds are going to tear this thing down here shortly. So the postseason for sure. And then, of course, then it comes down to can you get to that level of the Dodgers? We've seen the Dodgers. They're clearly vulnerable this year. They're not the same team. I watched them last night. They play sloppy baseball. I don't know what's going on in L.A., but that team is not like going from watching the Cardinals who play very crisp, clean defense to watching the the Dodgers in like three innings. I I saw last night they had multiple errors defensively. It's weird to watch them right now. Yeah, the Dodgers not saying they're going to go down, but they're clearly something's not right with them. So I don't know their five year trajectory. San Diego is going to be tough in five years. I think Atlanta is still tough because they've got their core. But you have the core of this developing what I would call not the MV3, but kind of the same model. You've got Paul Goldschmidt, who's a star at first base. You've got Nolan Arnauto, that's a star at third base. Dylan Carlson is going to be a star in the outfield. So you're going to have your three big bats. Tommy Edmond, to me, is projecting towards being a really good leadoff hitter that can play anywhere as a utility guy. And then you've got the pitching coming through the system to go along with Jack Flaherty and Matthew Libertor and Zach Thompson, guys that we touted on highly. Nolan Gorman and a bat that's coming through the system. Okay. Avon Herrera, who's supposed to come in for Yachty when he steps down, if he ever does retire. I mean, listing all of that should say that there's no reason that two World Series appearances isn't realistic and it should be deemed i don't know if a failure but it should be a disappointment if you don't get to two in the next five years so i think it just takes one i think it's one that would deem it a success kind of similar to the cubs thing where we were talking about like disappointment versus failure it's not a one failure. appearance w- one world series title okay i was gonna say one appearance i don't know if i would co- i mean it's hard because if i you, sound selfish saying one appearance would be like oh but you got Nolan Arnato. like you got to capitalize yeah. on this man yeah, you do the, right. the cardinals it'd be as if the the blues got ryan o'reilly and they entered that five-year window and they didn't get the cup that oh, would be a disappointment yeah. oh. yeah, why right? would you bring that, that up it, it would be hard for anybody in st louis to deem that a success and so with nolan Arenado here i think you got to get the one it's hard i think we know this now it it didn't feel this way from like 2003 to 2013 here in St. Louis, but it's really hard to get to a World Series. 
it's even harder to win one, man. So if they can get one in this five-year stretch, and if they can get to the playoffs, at least for me, four out of the five years, that would be for me the minimum threshold to become a success in this five-year stretch. You got to get the one World Series. You got to win it, win it at least once. And you got to make the playoffs four out of five. There can be that one year where, you know, there's injuries. It's the year from hell for you. Stuff goes wrong. The Brewers get hot, whatever, right? Like there's there's typically one season where things don't go the way you expect them to. Yeah, like but this one for the Blues. Exactly. Four out of five making the playoffs. One World Series. That for yeah. me is the lowest bar that you could possibly make. I, I get one for World Series. I get one World Series. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with what has taken place with the Cardinals. By the way, from the 618, guys are a little aggressive. We need to worry about Nolan Arenado not opting out of his contract. Do people really believe this man is going to opt out of his contract? He ain't going anywhere. Like, have we seen this man on the field, in the batter's box, in the dugout? Like, this man's not going anywhere. And he hasn't played in front of 30,000, yeah. much less 40,000 fans on the stands yet. He, he's not going anywhere. He's going to be here. Yeah. We, hopefully he's not getting uh, upset with the woo. Yeah, well, that's you, your you fault need if to it happens. chill that out, all right? I know you're going to the game Man. tonight. Hey, don't get your Wooly Wooly fan I hope club it finds started. its way over to Enterprise Center tonight, boys. <laughs> no, you don't. I do. I do. I hope, I hope like we Colorado? hear that. Yeah, I ho- like, let's show the avalanche what the woo and the loo is all about. Why? Yeah, all right. So no wooing at the ballpark tonight. Take it just to the Blues Enterprise. game. 9,000 woos going on at once. That's how you distract Nathan McKinnon, boys. There you go. I posted a poll on Twitter. <laughs> You done over there? Yeah, I'm done. We're good. All right, we can go on. Yeah. You need to do a woo right now, BK. Otherwise, you're going to. Thanks, Thanks, BK. Got random people coming into the studio. It's an open door policy for BK and Ferrario, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. 11 to 10 to give us a woo. It it is absolutely not. Do not do John Kioski, Tommy Madden, you're listening. Come on and give us a woo. Tommy's not here. He can't do it. He'll call in. Tommy, call in. I posted a poll on Twitter. What would it take over the next five years for the Cardinals to deem this a success? Would you sign up for one World Series appearance and making the postseason in four out of the next five years? You can vote in that poll on Twitter. I'm at BK Sports Talk. Alex is at Ferrario 101 ESPN. Tanner is at T-Bone underscore 101 ESPN. you were changing ESPN. that to the president of Woo and the Lou. Too many characters for my liking. Prez Woo Lou. Come on. That's actually really good. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show today. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we will play a game of start, sit, and cut. It is 1115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Alex, how in the world do the Blues get back into this series potentially without two of their starting defensemen? We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. What I'm watching right now is just, like you said earlier, a champion team, a Stanley Cup team that is just doing what it takes to get the job done, and the Blues are just kind of reacting. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with us earlier this week. The Blues down 2 nothing in this series. They're hoping to get back on track tonight. You'll hear Blues versus Avs pregame coverage for Game 3, beginning with Alex Ferrario right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN tonight at 730. Alex, I think the question is simple. 
How does this team get back into this series after what's been a rough start to it in the first couple of games, especially probably without both Justin Falk and Robert Bortuzzo tonight. What's what's the game plan for this? Well, real quick, BK, because I know both you and Tanner um, hate the Blues and don't want to see them succeed. So I we're going to start here. with that, but I'll let you keep going. <laughs> that, let me take you down a memory lane for a minute, boys, because I was thinking about this last night. Everyone's humming drum like they're out of this and saying, oh, this will be a quick sweep. Last year in the bubble, Blues were down 2 nothing. You remember, Tanner, because you were bad luck for the Blues in that bubble. Uh, they won two games while I was here. That's oh. right. They won two games last year. Hold on. Yeah? You're going to use the bubble as your explanation as to what went no, right for the Blues? I'm not using the bubble what went right. I'm using the bubble saying just because they're down 2-0 doesn't mean that this thing's over what with. What happened to the Blues in the bubble last year, Alex? Uh, I believe they, <laughs> Wait a second. I believe, they, the I believe they tied the series up when it was down 2-0, wasn't and it, boys? what happened? Well, we're not worried about that. All you're worried about is getting back. <laughs> Didn't you just open up this segment saying, how did the Blues get back into this? How did the Blues win this one? Yeah, but well, you get back into it. ended up kicking their ass in the last That's fine, but they didn't kick their ass in games three and games four. Okay. Blues found a way to get back into it. Winnipeg Jets, they were up 2-0, and then Winnipeg wins 2 straight you got yourself an evened up hockey game that's a better that's a better example it's the same thing it doesn't matter boys look regardless how to get back into this comes down to a couple of different things one it's getting back to simple hockey and i think the blues did that in the second and third period that's the other thing it's building off the momentum that they had at the end of that game number two and i thought jamie said it best on the crossover with us yesterday this blues core Seems to have went thrive when they have something to play for. They had something to play for when they were the worst team in the NHL, which, by the way, today's the anniversary of them getting to the Stanley Cup final, just so you can both remember that for game three. That was a good memory. That was I a will lean back on that for how the Blues get back uh, into by this the way, series, Alex not the is, bubble. Alex is hitting the sauce early today. No, I'm not. I'm saving that for a little bit later on this evening. Um, also, last season, they had something to play for because everyone was saying that that was just a fluke for the Blues. So I do think that the hit on Justin Falk might be something for them to play for. Now, that's going to be the massive hump to get over in this one, is how do you do this without Falk and Bortu? It looks like it'll be done in Santini that will get into the hockey game tonight unless something changes with warmups, but I don't think yet for the Blues. Those guys just need to play a simple brand of hockey, meaning you don't recognize them on the ice. I think that's the best way to play defense. And for me, it's finding a way to solve Nathan McKinnon. Talking to weeks about this yesterday. I'd like to see Craig Berube put someone else up against that line because you know they're going to have some type of an effect in the game, but let's make sure Ryan O'Reilly's effective in this game. So Craig Berube was on with the fast lane yesterday. They asked him, you know, hey, what are you saying to your team after game two, going into game three? What's the message that you're sending right now to the Blues, Craig Berube? And for me, you know, looking at that game last night and even the first game, you know, like – if we clean up our first periods and clean up a few things, we're right there to play with these guys, in my opinion. I think that game, both games were winnable, in my opinion. But, you know, you got to be able to execute and do things uh, throughout the whole 60 minutes. And I thought the last 30 minutes of the game last night, we were the better team. It's little things that, you know, right now are costing us. And uh, if we clean those up, we'll we'll play with these guys. And and all we got to, you know, the, what I told them is, we go home, we win one game, you're back in the series. And that's kind of what you're getting at there, right? Like it, it's the simple things, it's the little things that are becoming really, really big things for the Blues right now. And my big, like, overarching issue that the Blues have had really all season for me is they just don't play 60 minutes. They play 40 consistently. 
They're really great at playing a solid 40 minutes of hockey against whoever the opponent is. For whatever reason, there's like a 15-minute lapse within one period and a five-minute lapse to start next one where they just forget how to play hockey. And it doesn't make any sense to me. I can't explain it. But for whatever reason, that's been happening to them really all year long where they've got the big blow up period for a while there. It was the second period. That was the issue and the game game two. It was the first period. That was the issue for game them. They one just, was the third. It's weird. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me, but if they can prevent that, if they can just, or hell, even if you've had the bad period, but you just don't give up the goals. If it doesn't amount to a two Oh lead for the yeah. opposing team, like whatever it is, if you can prevent that from happening, that's how you get back on track over the next couple of games. And my big thing, too, tonight is look like you're ready to come out and play. They started That'd that game helpful. in game two. You were down one. You're down one oh in a game that you can try and get the series even at one apiece heading back here to St. Louis. And it just looked like they didn't they didn't realize they had a game. They showed up. They got what was the shots were like 18 to six or something yeah. in the first period. That, that can't happen. I would anticipate that not to be a problem tonight. I mean, you're home. You got 9000 fans for the first time in, in nearly two years. Like I would anticipate this team to come out with some fire. But I think Craig Brewey said it best with those guys on the fast lane yesterday. You got to find a way to come out with some fire, but have that control because if you go out there and just fly around like going out there and trying to take heads off as retribution for Justin Falk which I know a lot of people are going to want you're going to find yourself down two nothing in the first two minutes of the hockey game because their speed can beat you that way but is that team at full strength still without Nazem Kadri who I'm expecting not to be available for this when he's got his hearing later on today this game in my opinion is pivotal for the series if you don't come away with a victory tonight, up that's an. I never want to say it's over because I don't think it's over. But that I, is an up. I, if the Blues go down three zero against the Avs, you don't have to say it, Alex. You, you I know you'll hold I'll the faith. It. I believe in you. I know you'll hold the faith. If the Blues go down three zero against the Colorado Avalanche, the series is over. They will not be coming back and winning this series. Yeah, before you click your pen, I'll agree with BK. If they lose tonight, this series is over. It's a clean sweep. Okay. okay. I'm not willing to go that far. I think they can get game four. Oh, no, it's a sweep. It's <laughs> a sweep. It is a sweep, pivotal sweep, game, sweep, though. Sweep, sweep, sweep. Because here, here's the thing you're down to your top six defensemen, Robert Portuzo and Justin Falcon. I know a lot of people are harsh on Robert Portuzo, but he's one of your best penalty killers. Someone's going to have to step up with that. Basically, it's two of your best penalty killers that are going to be out of this hockey game. Um, this is the one game, though, that if you lose, it feels like an insurmountable cl- mountain to climb that. Teams might feel like, oh, man, we, we can't do anything about, about this. It's kind of what that Vancouver Canucks series was. The Blues put all of their efforts in to tie that series up with the bubble that I referenced. And then next thing you know, Vancouver wins game five. And then the Blues are like, oh, my gosh, we put everything into that. And that's what happens. So watch for them to come out with some fire tonight. You got to, in my opinion, you got to win the first period. If you don't win the first period and they're up a goal or two goals, that's going to take a lot of energy to come back. And it's going to hurt the series. You go up by one or two. You let Colorado know that you're here tonight. I think that's going to benefit this team moving so forward. So Craig Bruby was also asked on the fast lane for the latest on Bortuzzo, Falk, and Dunn. Here's what he had for an update yesterday. Yeah, I'm not sure about either one of them right now. Uh, they're probably questionable going into tomorrow's games. Uh, Vince Dunn could be available. He's been skating, so we'll see how Dunner's going to be. And uh, Santini who's played some games for us, he'll be able to, be able to play too. So Jeremy Rutherford had a really good piece out on The Athletic. And by the way, the Blues are taking the ice right now for their morning skate. We don't have any updates from that just yet, but we'll pass those along as we get them. Jeremy Rutherford in his piece yesterday had a projecting def- projected defensive pairings 
that did not have Vince Dunn in the lineup for the Blues. Now, that's not him saying for sure that Vince Dunn will be out of the lineup, but that's interesting to me. He was him. He had Santini and Rinky replacing uh, Falk and Bortuzzo. If I'm not mistaken, Mitch Rinky's not on the roster. He's I, in the AHL right now. I think they called him up. If I, those were the guys that he had on the uh, big league roster uh, or on the uh, on the active oh, yeah, roster. Mitch Rinky is in in this one. So let's look at this real quick. You got Justin Falk, who's your righty. Tory Krug is your. Oh, I'm sorry, Justin Falk won't be in. Tory yeah. Krug's your lefty. Colton Pareko's a righty. Marco He's the Skindel's only lefty. guaranteed righty. Colton Pareko is. Yeah, that to me. And Vince Dunn can play on the right side. He's played there before. So Mitch Rinky. Yeah, and Mitch Rinky's a righty. Yep. I so just Santini I don't see him. would be the natural right-handed replacements if Vince Dunn is not available. Tonight. I just don't see Mitch Rinky getting into the lineup. I see Santini playing over Mitch Rinky. Right, but this is if Vince Dunn is out as well. Oh, I'm sorry, you said Vince Dunn. I, yeah, if Vince Dunn is out, then Rinky's the only guy you have available. Vince Dunn, I mean, I mean, he's been skating with the team for like the last five or six days. What does it tell you if they don't go to Vince Dunn tonight? Like, if he is, and we don't know, we don't know what's going on with Vince Dunn right now, but. I feel like the last two weeks, Barubi has said, yeah, he might be available every day. And he just hasn't been available yet, or he hasn't been able to get on the active roster. I'm not sure what the disconnect is there, or if there even is one. It's it's hard to know right now. But if he is even 80% healthy, and he doesn't start in this game, it seems to tell me that this is headed for a divorce between sides, or two sides, right? I mean, this is a this is the game of the year for the Blues. And if he's not able to get on the ice while even if it's somewhat healthy, that that's tough for me to believe that there's a long-term future between these two parties. Yeah, especially because he's been skating. And if you're not playing Vince Dunn, I mean, look, they're, they're playing a couple of guys that are nowhere near 100%. Unless this is a really nagging injury for Vince Dunn. You can't go Mitch Rinky over Vince Dunn. That's the part for me. I mean, <laughs> like, you really can't because Vince Dunn just provides offense. I mean, he might not be the biggest defenseman, but look, he plays a physical brand of hockey and he did win a Stanley Cup. Like, that's the part for me. If you're going to have a guy in the lineup, I'm putting a guy who's won a Stanley Cup over a guy who hasn't played any NHL games this season for the Blues. So I, I would I would almost bet that Vince Dunn will be in the lineup tonight, especially with Craig Bruby saying after the game and the fast lane that he'll be available for them, and they're hoping that'll be available. Um, Steve what would Saint, you like to see as your pairing is available? I think, man, I, I, I think you go Marco Scandella and Colton Pareko as the top pairing. Um Mikola and Krug? No. (laughs) Honestly, I think I would go Krug and Santini because Santini's a stay-at-home defenseman. And then then I would go Mikola and Dunn and put Dunn on the right side with Mikola. Just because you got big and small on each line, I don't want to see Krug and Dunn together. And I don't Mikola Santini would be interesting, but I'd like to see big and small rather than two big guys and two small guys. I think I'd go Scandella on the right side with Dunn on the left. I I, because when Scandella was on the right side, now it. It dropped off a little bit after a while, but early on in the time when he was over on the right-hand side, uh, filling in for Colton Pareko at the time, he played pretty well. He was getting in on the rush. He was doing a little bit more offensively. So I would be interested in seeing Marco Scandella kind of skirt over to the right-hand side with Vince Dunn as his left-handed pairing. And maybe you go to Tori Krug with Colton Pareko tonight. Yeah. And they've tried that before and I don't mind that. Um, The only reason that makes me a little, because you got two guys that like to jump up into the rush. And I think right now with this team, as much as you need offense, you can't have a five-man unit trying to get into the offensive zone because these guys cherry-pick on the blue line. You're going to have to have somebody back. And I kind of – I don't mind Steve Santini being into the lineup because he – 
he reminds me a lot of Carl Gunnarsson. Like, you don't notice him on the ice. He's not going to do vet. anything fancy, but he's going to play smart, be heavy hockey. And I think that's what Craig Berube's looking for. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Start, sit, or cut is coming up next. One quick update from Blues Morning Skate. Luke Horak says that no Falk, no Bortuzzo on the ice right now. Jaden Schwartz, Marco Scandella also not on the ice, but I'm guessing maintenance day for those guys. They have... I, or at least Scandella hasn't been skating lately e- either way. So yeah. um, no Falk, no Bortuzzo. My assumption would be no Falk, no Bortuzzo tonight. I think that's a good assumption. Start, sit, cut coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Comfort service time. Let's play a game, a game of start, sit, or cut. And, and no, we're not playing start, sit, or cut. BK, Ferrario, and T-Bone, so don't text that Yeah, in. we already know. You're all cutting BK. And we're sitting T-Bone, and we're starting Ferrario. We well, get I it. I would have gone the other direction okay. there, but yeah. That's that's oh, yeah, that's right, because T-Bone enough. was the athlete of the group. I am correct. Deemed by the text line. Um, Never I wrong. would also, like, one quick thing, Tanner, in your update, be very careful with yes. diamond backs. Yes, I would just use the full word. D-backs? No, not D-backs. the D. That's that's a, that's in, that's not nice. I would diamond avoid backs. saying D backs in the update and go with diamond backs. And hey, I can't help but you older fellas here. And after you say it, I'd like you to do like a little rattlesnake hiss, like. Good. No. All right. Okay. So let's play game of start, sit, or cut. That was uncomfortable for me more than it was for you. Let's start with this one. Blues edition of start, sit, cut. Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Jordan Bennington. Start one, sit one, cut one. Well, I mean, you got to start Bennington, right? Because otherwise, who's your goaltender? Who so? Enough out of you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, start Bennington. I think I'm going to start Bennington. Oh, this is is impossible. (laughs) Come on, guys. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Do you want me to start things off? Yeah, please, because I don't want to do this. Okay. This is hard. So Could you guys know. Put like Sanford in there or something? You, you got to start Ryan O'Reilly. The guy, I mean. What? Are you serious? Does he play goal? No, but I'll figure out my goaltender. I want Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly on my team. That dude is starting for me 100% of the time. Um, earlier this year, Randy said, He has never seen another player in a Blues uniform that impacts winning, that can single-handedly win a game for the Blues the way that Ryan Riley already does. He's not wrong. I'm starting that guy. This is where things get tough. I'm actually sitting David Perron. I'm keeping David Perron. Cut Bennington? Oh, my God. I mean, have you guys seen the way that the Blues have played the last two games without Perron out there? And I know Bennington's been amazing. This is not a shot against him. What do you think the game would look like without him in that? This is a shutout for sure. I'm keeping David Perron. I'm going to go ahead and sit him. And unfortunately, I'm cutting Jordan Bennington. Oh, no. Doesn't make me feel good. I'm not proud of it. But I got three good options here. So I'm starting O'Reilly, sitting Perron, and cutting Bennington. All right, Tanner, go ahead. You are one pathetic loser. Yeah, he is. You go ahead, Tanner. Okay, so I'm definitely starting Bennington because I've seen what the backup situation looks like. As much as I love my boy Huso. Sorry, Huso. You're going to be on the bench because I need Bennington. I would sit... O'Reilly, because then at least I have him, I would cut David Perron. As much as I love David Perron, he's a point-per-game scorer. As you mentioned, BK, O'Reilly does so much. He can single-handedly carry this team. I'd least like to have him on the roster then. I, I will cut David Perron. We've done it multiple times already. He'll come back at some point. 
That is actually a great point. I didn't even <laughs> think of that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll start with cutting Perron because he'll be back at some point. And, look, you got guys that need to step up. So if you lose your top goal scorer, hopefully that means somebody else becomes your top goal scorer. I am going to sit Ryan O'Reilly. Guy's phenomenal. Yeah, and he's a part of my team. Said. I got to start Bennington, though, because I, I, I have seen what it looks like without Jordan Bennington. And I know people are like, oh, Bennington should be, if he was great, the Blues would be up 2-0. Yeah, I've seen what goaltending looks like for the Blues without a legit number one guy. We've all seen it. And it is not fun. So I think I got to start Jordan Bennington. Start, sit, cut. You are stuck on a deserted island edition. Me? Okay. So these are the things that you get while you are stuck on a deserted island. Start, sit, or cut. Unlimited food. Unlimited materials. Mm. Or somebody is there with you. Unlimited food. Unlimited materials. Or somebody is there with you. Alex, get things off for So us. what would be considered unlimited materials? Like everything you need? Like yeah, to like build a house and okay. all house. of that. Okay. Okay. You can go fishing because you have spears. Yeah, I think I'm going to go unlimited. I can't because I would yeah, be incompetent at doing to. such. But I think I'm going to go unlimited materials because I think I can get a lot done with those materials. Look, unlimited food's great, but you can use the materials to get food for yourself. True. Um, and I'm not going to have somebody on there with me because it might annoy the hell out of me. So you're starting unlimited materials, sitting food, and some cutting buddy there with you. To be honest with you, I thought this was one's got to go already. So yeah, I'm starting <laughs> unlimited materials. I'm sitting unlimited. Or I was like, wait a second. Yeah, I, know, I, I didn't understand what you were getting at. I know. Well, I, was, I was so pointed on that one. So I'm starting unlimited materials. I'm sitting a person there with me because depending on who the person is, it might be enjoyable. And I'm getting rid of unlimited food because I could figure out food myself. Yeah, I'm going to start unlimited materials so I can have a house or whatever. I'm going to sit a person with me, and then I'm going to cut the the food. I think I could hunt for food. If I have someone with me, granted, again, I said they're sitting. I think we could hunt and catch Fish something. has got great iron, so like my yeah. my eyesight, my bones, they're going to be fantastic by the end of that time. And I'm an athlete of the group, so I can surely catch yeah. a deer with my bare hands if needed. Yeah, you're right. So here's the thing. The unlimited materials means nothing for me because I'm not going to know what to do with any of it. So we can cut that. That that's that's not going to help me in this particular situation. The unlimited food would be fantastic for somebody again like me who is incompetent, can't go fishing, can't hunt on my own. I would be a disaster on a deserted island. So unlimited food is definitely going to be ha- have to be something that I get. Somebody there with me would be pretty nice. I think I would go crazy if there was nobody with me on a on a deserted you island. No, we should do. The three of us take him to a deserted island. So I'm and leave sitting him there. somebody there with me. We should all go to a deserted island for charity, and for however long we last is how much money we donate. That's called naked and afraid. <laughs> this seems like a terrible <laughs> idea. It's called naked and afraid. Only that's with clothes. All right, well, we won't be naked. Well, thank God we won't be. <laughs> At least I don't plan to be to naked. <laughs> Start, sit, cut. NL MVP edition. This one's tough. Nolan Arenado, Fernando Tatis Jr. Ronald Acuna, Arenado, Tatis, Acuna, Tanner, who you starting, who you sitting, who you cutting? Oh, man, this is this is a tough one. Well, I'll start with my cut because this one jumped out to me immediately. I'm cutting Tatis Jr. He's young, but he's injury prone. Wow. And the shoulder scares me. 
Andy's got a massive freaking contract too um, that he probably shouldn't have gotten already. But that's oh another day. Easy, Grandpa Dynamite. My sorry, God, sorry, man. my bad. Back in my day, uh, yeah, I would cut Fernando Tatis. The sit or starts a tough one. I think as great as no. I, actually, I'm going to start Nolan Arenado. I was going to go to Acuna, but Arenado does everything. Acuna does too, and he's electric. But I just think Arenado at third base. He's so good defensively on that side of the infield, and he can hit everything. He's on a tear currently. Acuna is too. I'll sit Acuna, and I'll start Nolan Arenado. I'm there with him. I'm starting Arenado. I'm sitting Acuna Jr., and I'm cutting Tatis Jr. Have you guys seen what Ronald Acuna has done this year? I have, but what's... what? Um, I've seen what Arenado's done in like wait, the last what, 15. What, what place are the Atlanta Braves in in their division? I understand, but come on now. Nolan Arenado goes to a good team, and it's like, boom, first place, here we are. Bingo! Acuna Jr. I tell you what, I love Acuna Jr. because he's hitting home runs, and then he's doing the Conor McGregor shuffle at home plate. He's doing... His 13 home runs are not why the Braves stink this year. Hey, Nolan Arenado's getting it done. He is. Arenado's great. I I, I bet you Arenado's the better defender. Oh, yeah. Without question, Nolan Arenado's the better defender. By the way, Marcelo Zuna, have you guys checked in on what he's doing this year? Remember when Batting everyone, 200 so far this year. Remember when everyone wanted him back in the offseason? With a 598 OPS. Last year might have just been the anomaly for basically everybody. Like, throw the 2020 season out. Pretend it never happened. Because J.D. Martinez was one of the worst hitters in baseball. Now he's back to being the best. Marcelo Zuna went from being pretty terrible for like five years, four years, to being the best hitter in baseball. So I just can go ahead and still, throw that out. He still plays uh, defense like a big bear. That's, That's true. why he's a DH. All right. Start set cut for me. Acuna, Arenado, Tatis. Man, this is a really, really tough one. I'm going to start Ronald Acuna. God. Oh, this is hard. If you cut Arenado, St. Louis might burn your house down. I'm going to sit Arenado and cut Tatis. And I do not feel good about. No, you know what? Uh I don't know, man. I'm taking this way too seriously. Yeah, you I'm are. just going to do it. <laughs> You're acting like someone's going to like shoot you if you don't pick correctly. Well, our, I might. Fernando I Tatis might Jr. might be the best player in baseball, and he's 22 years old, and I'm cutting he, him from this roster. Like, he's, this he's seems insane all the time. to me. He's got a big contract. It's fine. I think uh, Padres didn't get any use out of him last year in the NLCS. I mean, okay, that's what I'm going with. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text on questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 7-8-0 comfort service tax line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 618. Guys, MLB released its list of the top five Cy Young candidates right now, and their list did not include Jack Flaherty. Unreal. What is he doing that doesn't make him at least in the discussion for the National League Cy Young so far this year? I, I don't really know, to be honest with you. Um, and I get wins are a useless stat when it comes to pitching, but he still does lead the league in that, which means nine times out of 10, he's keeping his team ahead in ball games, which or is important. Eight times out of nine. That's in this case. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, his ERA is, I mean, look, it's that's not, what's holding him back. Yeah. But okay. Jacob DeGrom's injured. 
and like how I mean I get he's incredible but like he's injured right now so how can you put him in a Cy Young situation with these other guys because, I because he has a point six ERA okay. and he is striking out 15 batters per nine innings how, so far this year how many uh how many games has he pitched this year six okay well not enough in my opinion and Brandon Woodruff has a 1.5 ERA. And he's only walked like one batter. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm not the one to ask them with this because for me, I think wins are more important than ERA. I, I, I mean, ERA should directly lead to the wins. Apparently not because Jack Flaherty's got more wins than all of these guys. I know, but the, it's a team stat. Um, yeah, like, but the team can't win unless your pitcher's going out there and pitching well. Right, but all these guys we're talking about have. They, they've all pitched at a really high level. Like Trevor Bauer this year has thrown more innings than Jack Flaherty has, and he's allowed fewer runs than Jack Flaherty has, and has struck out more batters than Jack Flaherty has. So I, I think he would be a better Cy Young candidate, despite the fact that he's 4-2 and two on the season and Jack Flaherty's 8-0. Like that 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 win loss record it does have meaning and it's why Jack would even get into the conversation because right now among qualified pitchers in the National League Jack is 13th in ERA so that's not going to be what does it his strikeout numbers aren't there up to par with these other guys the only thing keeping him in the conversation would be right now the win, eight eight no win loss record yeah I'm with you and looking at his numbers he's only top 20 in he's tied for top 20 in innings pitch but he's not top 20 in strikeouts strikeouts per night and for, for some reason, and maybe it's because strikeouts are so big now, that's kind of what I think a lot of people look at. Sure. And he's not as flashy. Like, we look at DeGrom. DeGrom's throwing 102 miles per hour in single A yesterday. And you look at some of these other guys. Woodruff throws hard, or they have nasty stuff like uh, Trevor Bauer. His stuff's insane. You watch him, it's like he's playing with a wiffle ball. Jack Flair, has got good stuff, but it doesn't get televised like that to the national uh, media and the national um, viewers. Yeah, I, I think Jack will be a Cy Young candidate. I think when we do this list again in three or four weeks, if Jack continues to pitch the way that he has, he's probably going to be in the top five candidates. Right now, though, I do think that it's fair to say he's probably not a top five candidate thus far. And a lot of that is going back to his first start. If you eliminate that, he's up there with all of the rest of these guys. Can't do that. But if you did, you he would be right up there with the rest of these candidates. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This is a really good one from the 314. Fellas, would you consider swapping Paul DeYoung for Javi Baez at the trade deadline if it was a one-for-one swap? So you're trading Paul DeYoung straight up to the Cubs for Javi Baez. Would you consider doing that if you were the Cardinals? If I'm the Cardinals, no. If it's me, I probably would. But if I'm, I'm putting on the Mo bow tie, I don't think they do it because of the years of control, and Baez would, would clearly be a rental in my opinion. It's kind of where I'm at too. I would do it, but cardinals perspective i wouldn't because you have to pay the guy somewhere between 200 million dollars 250 million dollars and paul de young's cost controlled you don't need you're getting javier Baez to be a helpful bat in the lineup and right now i don't know if you need that i mean it'd be great to have but you got arenado goldschmidt de young or i'm sorry carlson edmund o'neill when he's healthy I, I think I'm fine with Paul DeYoung for how cost-controlled he is, and I'd rather look at a starting pitching. So it's, this is so interesting to me. I think, Tanner, the way you looked at this is probably the same way that I would differentiate it. Would the Cardinals do this? Absolutely not. Because there's potential for Paul DeYoung to go up to Chicago and over the next four years with the club control that they would have on him, he becomes a fantastic player for the Cubs. And you're the guy that traded Paul DeYoung to the cross town or cross division rival. 
you just can't do that. Especially when you've got a guy in Javi Baez who's probably going to be here for two months at that point. But if you continue to see what we've seen thus far, where there's not a significant drop off, and in some ways you had an upgrade with Edmundo Sosa stepping in there at shortstop over Paul DeYoung, that continues. I could see the argument in favor of trying to upgrade at that position for the rest of this year with Javi Baez and giving yourself the best possible chance to win a World Series in 2021. And then in the offseason, even if you don't go after Correa or Story or Seager or Baez. Freddie Galvis. Galvis is out there. Trevor Simeon is out there. There's other options at shortstop available. There's like seven of them that are legit starting shortstops available on the market this offseason. You could go out there and sign one of them. There's a case to be made for this. I don't think it's going to happen. I would be absolutely stunned if it did, but there's a case that you could make that this would make some sense for the Cardinals. Thing here, Alex, you mentioned Max Scherzer, or you mentioned trading for a starter, rather, I at the deadline. I was, we, we all were thinking the same name. And let's so. be honest, he's the one, right? Jim Bowden, former Major League General Manager, had a mailbag over on The Athletic earlier today, and somebody asked him the question, would offering minor leaguers Johan Oviedo and Malcolm Nunez be enough for Max Scherzer at the deadline, or would Washington want more? Here's what he had to say. Your proposal is reasonable, but I think a package of Zach Thompson and third baseman Jordan Walker would be a little more realistic from the Nationals' point of view. Alex, is that something you would do? Zach Thompson, currently down in AAA. He's done all right down there. Left-handed guy that the Cardinals are very high on. And last year's first-round pick, Jordan Walker, who's been destroying the baseball so far this year. Would you consider doing something like that for Max Scherzer on a rental? I don't think I would. Um, More because of Jordan Walker than Zach Thompson. You don't have a lot of position players in the minor leagues right now that are coming up through the system. And I know he's a third baseman, but guys can move around. Um... I, I think between Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker, these are the two like high priced prospects for you. And you can always shift some guys around. I mean, you don't know Jordan Walker could be an outfielder for you in the next season or two. And Nolan Gorman's already playing second base. So if you put a different position player in place of Jordan Walker's name with Zach Thompson, then yeah, I'd pull the trigger on that. Even if it's Nolan Gorman. I would rather Nolan Gore, yeah. Gorman than Jordan Walker. I think I would too. If this was Thompson and Gorman, I think I might I'd do it. I pulled the trigger on it. Yeah. I, I know that sounds crazy, but right now the Cardinals have their second baseman of the future. Uh-huh. He's currently on the roster and Tommy Edmund. He's cheap, cost controlled. He's got everything you want. And yeah, I would too. I, I think Nolan Gorman is he, seemingly to me healthy Tyler O'Neill. That's what I was about to say. To me, he projects kind of like a Tyler O'Neill except yeah. he's left-handed. Jordan Walker looks like a guy who's going to be Dylan Carlson territory as he continues to, to grow through the system. He's a power hitter too and he might be your future first baseman. Like he might end up taking over for Paul Goldschmidt in three years. There's another uh, kid down there right now too that's been tearing up. Luke and Baker, yeah. first baseman. It's another kid who's tearing it up. He so, was rumored to be in the Arenado deal yeah. at first. So you got a lot of prospects right now. You guys, yeah. you right, have prospects, right? Yeah, they failed big time. You got prospects right now that I don't think you'd move on from. I'd be fine moving on from a pitching depth. But yeah, if, you, if I'm putting Jordan Walker in there for Max Scherzer with the uncertainty of getting him back, I'd rather take my chances in free agency. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. You're going to want to hear what CC Sabathia had to say about Tony LaRusa. Who boy, was he unhappy. Plus, these no hitters, they're a symptom, not the root cause of the issue for baseball. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now, here's BK and Ferrario.
Kleber Torres. And that'll do it. A no-hitter for Corey Kluber on a Wednesday night in Texas. Kluber becomes part of forever. Yeah, kind of. Would have probably meant a little more if it happened, you know, when there weren't four no-hitters in the span of 15 days. You guys are just... Someone texted and said, Ferrari, are you grumpy today? I'm the grumpy one? Come on now. (laughs) These guys are going to complain because there's no hitters in baseball. Yeah. Every night there's an alert. Tanner mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. He's really no-no alert. There is a no-hitter going into the sixth inning every night. I don't know who's going to be this weekend, but there will be multiple situations where if you've got the MLB at Bad App or whatever, you will get an alert multiple times this weekend that somebody has a no-hitter going in the sixth inning. Yesterday, I saw this when I was watching SportsCenter this morning. Six games. This would have been the first time in MLB history we had back-to-back-to-back three straight days of a no-hitter. Six of them got ruined by the first batter in the game, and then the longest one was Alcantara with three and a third. You guys don't like it? As BT says, play better. Well, here's the problem. It's not just that I don't like it, because I don't. John Means, Wade Miley, Spencer Turnbull, and Corey Kluber, who, I mean, he's like 37 years old. You did super swipe. I did super swipe. These are not the guys that you typically see going out there throwing no-hitters. John Means has had a solid season. You're right, Tanner. But come on. Let's, Let's be real here. The problem is that opposing hitters just aren't hitting against anybody. So when nobody's hitting, yeah, you're going to get a higher frequency of no hitters. There are only seven teams right now, Alex, batting above 250 on the year. Do you, There was a time not all that long ago where you would look at a guy's batting average. You're like, man, if he can just get to about 250, like that's slightly below league average. But if he could just get there, I'd feel all right about it because he's an elite defender. Now teams, teams as a whole are struggling to get to 250. Baseball has a problem right now. It's not just the no-hitters that are taking place. It's that nobody's hitting the damn ball. Yeah, I think we are at the point, and I forgot who was with us that talked about it. Maybe it was Buster only the previous time. They need to move the mound back. Like, like that's where we're at. And you're starting to see more of this. I mean, they've talked about deadening the ball Everything that goes into this. But look, regardless of people say, well, they need to fix the shift so that there's more balls in play. Now you do need to move the mound back a little bit because I think the competitive level level right now is heavily favoring pitchers compared to hitters. And you're also getting the side of things where it's hitting and guys get paid for home runs. And you got guys going up to the plate that are basically swinging for the fences. And if that's not it, it's going to be strikeout or it's going to be a ground out. So there's a lot of issues right now that I hope... Uh, Theo Epstein can find a way to fix along with Rob Manfred because we know Rob won't be able to fix these things. But I think it starts with moving the mound backwards. And now I am fully embracing that because there just needs to be more of a competitive edge. I'm with you. I, I, I don't care what the results show in the minor leagues. Of unless it shows injuries for pitchers, then I don't want that to occur. And if so far, it hasn't. But yeah, if that were the case, then I would say maybe lower the mound. But I want to see it bump back that extra foot currently. And I, I like. Like you said, it hasn't so far. I haven't seen any numbers on that. I did see that stolen bases are way up with the expanded bags in. I think it's high, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm in favor because pitching has just gotten to a point where it's unhittable. And, and that's not to say, you know, if I bump the mound back, then Jacob DeGrom's going to stink. No, DeGrom's got great stuff, but we're just at the point where with the analytics saying it has to be the home run or you're not going to get paid, everybody's doing it, and pitchers are just throwing it by you, then they're mixing in the off-speed stuff, which is at its best it's ever been because we can get – look at analytics and get the RPM and all that kind of stuff up. It, it, it's hard to watch baseball now. And the no-hitter should be a feat that we don't 
we should value the no-hitter, and we're losing that right now in baseball. If there was going to be a feat that I thought we would see and we'd go, oh, there's too much of this, it was going to be the three-home run game. We don't see that anymore because pitching's so dominant. Yeah, the other thing that has to be kind of included into this conversation is it's just it's not just the velocity, it's not just the lack of hitting right now. It's it's also and there's a story right now over on the Athletic from Ken Rosenthal. The pitchers seem to be using a heck of a lot of foreign substances right now, and whether you want to call it cheating, whether you want to call it using stuff that maybe is slightly skirting the rules, however you want to look at this, there's a lot of players around baseball raising the questions. And Mike Schultz has been uh, out front on this as well, where he's saying, hey, there's guys that are throwing and spinning the ball in a way that they never have been before. And so maybe they just learned how to do it over the offseason, or maybe there's something going on in baseball. And it certainly seems like he's pointing to the latter. These guys are having a grip that they've never had before on the ball, and it's resulting in players, hitters, not being able to hit the ball the way that they previously could. I mean, there's a graph in this story over on The Athletic. Highly recommend checking it out. Showing the change in high-spin fastballs over the last few years, I mean, it's it's alarming. It's like double where it used to be. And so I think that there's something that needs to be done about that. I don't know specifically what you do, though. Because the hitters will want the pitchers to be able to have some grip on the ball. Otherwise, I mean, it's like throwing, in the words of Jamie Rivers, a greased BB. There's no way to be able to handle them. So I I don't know specifically what they do, but they've got to get a handle on that. Speaking of getting a grip on things, guys, CeCe Sabathia. What'd he do? He was not happy with Tony La Russa. We talked a lot about this yesterday, but my guy CeCe Sabathia went off on his podcast yesterday you got a rookie that's basically been carrying your team this whole these last first six weeks of the season this guy's been carrying you and now you don't have a problem with the weird ass minnesota twins throwing behind your one of your biggest hitters that's just stupid it's stupid period i'm sorry this is terrible he shouldn't be managing that team and if you're not gonna step up and have your players back what's the point of being the manager of the white Sox? Sorry. My God, this was a podcast? Wow. This man is fired up. A little aggressive. He said the weird ass Minnesota twins threw at him. The weird ass Minnesota twins. I'm sorry, I was distracted because I was counting how many F-bombs he was dropping. I mean, that felt like I was watching Goodfellas. Yeah, dozens. I, I don't know how many it was, it was but it was, it was enough. Um, I I tend to agree with a lot of what CC Sabathia said. Except for the weird-ass twins part. No, I agree with oh, that, too. Okay. They, they're oh, weird for that? throwing at him the way that they did. Um, Not a real baseball team. It's interesting to me to see the disconnect between players and TLR stance on this. And I heard, I don't remember who it was, so I, I apologize. I can't give proper credit to it. But somebody said, what if TLR is just doing, like, um, theater here? What if he's doing all of this to take the heat off of Mercedes and to take the heat off of the team? But was there going to be any heat on Mercedes? I don't think so. So I'm I'm like trying to figure out what TLR is doing here. Maybe there's got to be more to this. Maybe it's the Herb Brooks mentality. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's the head coach of the 1980 USA Olympic team that won the gold medal. Maybe it's the comment of, well, I need them to hate me so that they won't hate each other. Maybe. Right. I don't know. Like hate me. So you go out there and you win despite Tony Larusa. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I'm trying Nobody to asked find. You, Tanner? you looked at me. Nobody I thought that didn't. was a question. I'm trying to find an explanation for why TLR has handled this the way he has. I just think it's because he's old and he's losing. It. <sighs> oh come on now. 
Occam's razor, That's right? Like the, the, the simplest custody? solution sometimes is the correct answer. And I, I can't think of anything else. I just don't think you, this all comes down to going to the media. If he never speaks to the media about this 100%. and this is he'll held behind closed doors, nobody is talking about this. Nobody's talking about him hitting on a 3-0 pitch when it's 15-4. to Nobody's talking about him being young and dumb. It, 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 it's it's all, a highlight. Like, that's what yeah. it would have been. It would have been a highlight on SportsCenter. But again, it's it's no, it has nothing. I mean, it's Tony LaRusso's mentality. And Kaplan told us this yesterday from Chicago ESPN Radio. It's like, that's what you signed up for. And look where it's got you. So I... I I'd cool it, CC, because you're getting. Well, he doesn't care because it's Chicago, but it's you're getting winning baseball in the White Sox system right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We have an update on Vince Dunn that will get you on the other side, and some NFL quick hitters. I was told that Aaron Rodgers was not going to be staying with the Packers, but it sure seems like he's open to that idea. Now, we'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Weird ass Minnesota Twins. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. update from Blues practice is coming from Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, our Blues insider here at 101 ESPN as well. He says that Vince Dunn is still working on the ice with the extras. It does not appear that he is going to be in the lineup for the Blues tonight. Alex, what's your reaction to that? Surprised. I, I really surprised. And there, there has to be an underlying issue that we don't know with Vince Dunn because I just truly cannot believe that he is healthy to play and Craig Bruby's opting to go with other players over Vince Dunn. Regardless how you feel of Vince Dunn, he is a point producer and you kind of need offense right now against Colorado. And two, he's got you a Stanley Cup. Regardless, if he was on the third pairing and played 10 minutes, he's won you a Stanley Cup. So there has to be something going on with Vince Dunn to why he is not playing in this one. With that being said, the options are Mitch Rinke or Tyler Tucker. I would opt towards Mitch Rinke because Tyler Tucker is like 23 years old or something like that right now. Um, so look, you got you got three young defensemen or two young defensemen, a little bit more of an established defenseman and Steve Santini playing tonight, if that's the way they're going. Steve Santini is going to be a top two defensive pairing for you tonight. Woo-hoo. I'm not upset about it because he's played... He plays a solid brand of hockey. He's not noticeable, which is a good thing. Listen, listen, this is not a shot against Steve Santini. It's the great Santini, according if, to Jamie Rivers. If I had told you in March that you'd be playing in a postseason game with Steve Santini as a second-pairing defenseman, you would have asked me what the hell happened. I'd be more upset with you telling me that Mitch Rinky was playing in that game because then Fair. I would be saying, what the hell's going on? But Rinky's but, going to play like eight minutes tonight. And I don't expect Steve Santini to play more than 12, 13 minutes. Then who's playing on the defensive pairings? Three guys, Pareko, Krug, and Scandella. Where you're going to see, so here's how. guys are going to have to play like 30 minutes. Here's Well, Krug played 27 minutes on game two. I know, it's going to be even worse if you go to three. Here's how this is going to work, in my opinion, and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm just a pre and post game host. No, that's my my role. I'm saving people a text message on this one. Santini, Mikola are going to be penalty killers for you. On top of Colton Pareko and Marco Scandella, those are your penalty killers. You may see Mitch Rinke in there every once in a while. I doubt it. Power play is going to be Colton Pareko and Tori Krug. And then from there, you'll see five-on-five time with the matchups. It's going to come down to matchups for Craig Bruby. Mitch Rinke, in my opinion, is probably going to pair up with a Marco Scandella because you got an experienced guy with a younger player. 
those guys are probably going to see third and fourth pairings. You'll put Santini with Mikola, kind of like that. You got two very heavy players. Those guys won't see the first matchup. Pareko and Scandell, is the, their sole responsibility in this game is going to be McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog. That's what, at least if I'm Barubi, that's where I'm going sure. with this one. This is the game that the Blues are going to win, isn't it? Yep. This is the game that they're going to come out <laughs> like, on top and we're going, oh, baby, they're back. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just feel like that it makes no sense that this is the game that the Blues would beat the Avalanche in. It makes no sense whatsoever. The Their one, defensive pairings are an absolute mess right now. This is the one that Nathan McKinnon doesn't get a point in, and you're like, what the hell just happened? And we're all clamoring for more Stantini they're and They're going to take the Ryan O'Reilly line off of the McKinnon line. Yeah. Like that, They're going to switch the, the um, defensive pairings matchups, matchups there and then your defensive pairings are going to be a nightmare the way that we're looking at them right now and they're going to win like yeah. th- that's how this is going to go shorshenko is going to match up against the mckinnon line <laughs> all day baby shorshenko is about to terminate you six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service x line to get involved in the show we'll dive into the junk drawer coming up here in about 30 minutes or so very excited at the bottom of the hour john stockwell is going to join the show he's been a scout or front office executive in major league baseball for 30 years right now though i want to get into a couple of quick hitters from the nfl alex couple of the pieces of news that have been taking place lately so aaron Rodgers, the assumption was hey he is not going to play for the packers he has no interest in playing for them Well, yesterday on Get Up, Dan Graziano, who does a great job for them as a reporter, said that there's conversations taking place right now between Rodgers and the Packers, maybe even about a contract extension. There have been conversations between Aaron Rodgers' camp and the Packers about a new contract. And I think that's interesting when you look at the Packers and the way they do business, the willingness to do a new contract tells you that they're willing to bend a little bit in Aaron Rodgers' direction. Hold on. So after all of this, this nonsense that we heard on draft day, that Aaron Rodgers was not going to go back to the Packers and it's an irreparable situation between the two sides. Now Rodgers is going to go back and play whenever they give him a little bit more money. Is that what I'm understanding here, Alex? That's what it sounds like. Hey, money talks. Money talks. That's all it took. After all of this, it was like, hey, Rodgers, we'll give you an extra five million bucks. All right, cool. Where do I sign? We'll be good. Like that. That's what all of this was about. All of it. Wouldn't you be a drama queen for $5 million more? Yeah, I was going to say, I'll take five extra million dollars if that's how this works. I thought we had a little bit of principle here. No. no There's no principle no. in the NFL. You know better than this. Okay. Well, the other piece of news that took place <laughs> in the NFL over the last 24 hours is that Julio Jones apparently getting traded. Yeah, this one. Or are we seeing another Aaron Rodgers situation? No, because this one's from the team side of oh. things. So the Falcons are right up against the cap. As of today, in fact, they can't sign their rookie class. They owe the league right now $6 million. Like the cap is X. They've got Y. They have less money right now available to them than the league would say that you have for the season. They are $6 million over the cap. They got two options. Option number one. They can restructure the deal for Grady Jarrett, their fantastic defensive lineman. Apparently, he ain't interested in doing that. So they actually have one option. They got to trade Julio Jones because they put everything on a credit card and now the bills come due and they're overdue. So they got to trade Julio somewhere. Where would you guys like to see Julio Jones play this year? Like if this is actually going to happen and he's going to get traded, where do you want to see Julio Jones play? Green Bay would be nice for Aaron Rodgers. Put him in there with uh, Devontae Adams and a little Julio Jones action. 
there's a Super Bowl coming for you, A-Rod. Maybe that's how they know that they're going to keep him. Maybe we're not talking about the money here. Oh, this is tinfoil material. I didn't have tinfoil Dang, <laughs> sorry. That was my fault. I didn't give you. Sometimes it just comes to me when the tinfoil hat's on. Maybe this is, it's not $5 million, BK. It's, hey, Aaron, look, we know you're not happy. We're going to give you a little bit more money. We'll extend you. But how would you like to win a Super Bowl, not just with Devontae Adams, but what if we get you Julio Jones as well? that make you stay? I mean, it could work. I'm in. I'm in. Make it happen. I didn't even think Green Bay would be an option. I'd like Green Bay. That would be they're incredible. Not gonna, they're, they're not, not going to get them because it's in the NFC. I well, That's a good point, too. I like Miami. I, I think putting him on Miami. Don't they already have all their receivers? Yeah, they just yeah. drafted one. We're good. I, yeah, but get a veteran in there. Miami, to me, makes makes sense. Don't they have Tim Tebow? Oh, no, it's Jacksonville. <laughs> same state. <laughs> I think the answer for me is Baltimore. Oh, I thought Baltimore you were going to say Kansas one. City. Casey is another one, but I was going to let you guys mention them. No, I'm no, not, I'm not talking about I'm not about the them. one that's going to bring up the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> another right one that actually quietly makes a lot of sense is the L.A. Chargers. I would yeah. love to see him paired up with Justin Herbert oh, out yeah. in L.A. I think it would be an awesome, awesome move for the Chargers to be able to go out there and get somebody to another weapon for Herbert to throw to. We've seen with other teams, like the Rams did this with a guy that it didn't end up being very good in Jared Goff. They surrounded him with so much talent. It didn't matter what Jared Goff's talent level was. Now imagine if Jared Goff was actually a talented player like Justin Herbert is. That's what oh, this would be. be. Nice. You're insulating the, the young quarterback with as much talent as possible. They're a team that I would love to see go get aggressive and make a move like Someone this. said Cleveland. I don't think that's happening because you got Beckham Jr. on top of... Um, um, Jarvis Landry. Yeah, Jarvis Landry. Thank you. This one I would like to see too, the Titans. Titans would be really interesting. You they go lost AJ, Corey Davis. A.J. Brown with Julio Jones and Derrick Henry. I mean, that is it. That is just a meat locker right there. That'd be a lot of fun. And then the Indianapolis Colts staying in that same division, they'd be a good team as well, yeah. depending on if you believe in Carson Wentz or not. But I don't. If you do... Uh, Julio Jones could certainly help to improve their wide receiver core. They, there's a lot of team. I mean, Julio Jones would make everybody say, take any of them. What's Carolina have as wideouts? They so they lost Curtis Samuel this offseason, so he could make big. some sense. I there. think he would make sense there too because you have a quarterback that you for some reason are buying into in Sam Darnold. If you surround him with weapons, they they might be maybe a sleeper on this. One other, if you want to go sleeper teams, the 49ers would be really yeah, interesting. Someone said send them to Jacksonville. Huh. Hey. Trevor Lawrence, that's not too shabby of a start to your NFL career, right? To have Julio Jones there? Yeah. I mean, it, and they, Tim Tebow? they actually make some and sense. And Tim Tebow. Oh, I mean, even what think more about that. For? That's Super Bowl. I can't believe how many people are upset by that Tebow situation. Like, All right, I'm excited. People hate Tim Tebow. Who cares? He's one of the 90 players on their roster. And from There's, what I hear, he's like one of the nicest guys ever. There are 5,000 players in the NFL. Like, that, it, it's okay if if one of them or five hundred whatever okay. just because he in the his, NFL just because he upped his calorie intake in the off season and thinks he's a tight end doesn't mean we should should shoot him down for it. That's what I'm saying. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, former scout for the Chicago Cubs, he's been an MLB executive or scout for thirty years. I want to ask him who his favorite player is that he's ever scouted. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and 
Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So John Stockstill has been a scout or a front office executive in Major League Baseball for the last 30 seasons. He spent 15 years with the Cubs from 1990 through 2005. And now he's a scout with the Detroit Tigers. John, we appreciate the time and thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Yeah, good to be here, guys. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So I wanted to go back to the early 2000s when you're with the Cubs, and that was kind of, especially 03, the prime of that early 2000s Cardinals versus Cubs rivalry. What was it like to be a part of that era of Cards-Cubs baseball? Well, it was like no other time because, as you recall, uh, that's when the the McGuire and Sosa brought back the home runs, and it had recently... the late 90s was a downturn for fan attendance and everything was very exciting and with Dusty coming in in 03 and the team coming together uh, the games were just tremendous so John I want to touch on one player for the Cardinals that you saw at that era and it was Albert Pujols we had a great conversation with Jim Bowden a former uh, general manager for the Cincinnati Reds and he talked about how his scouting department really had no answer for how to approach Albert Pujols from a scouting perspective when you were part of the Cubs was it the same situation for you where it's like I don't know how to beat this guy (laughs) Well, with with Albert, he was an unusual case because he was at a junior college, Maple Woods Community College in um, uh, Kansas City when he first came out. So a lot of people missed on him. But as he got into his prime when he was playing, it was very tough to beat him in any, any way with any pitch. He kind of went through the system fairly quickly, two, two and a half years through St. Louis, and then became a, a tough, tough guy to get out. John, did you ever scout him? Like, did you ever go to Maplewood? I did not see him, but we had other people who did see him. And so he was a, he was a young man that wound up at Maplewood's Community College, went, I think, in the 12th or 13th round. And so every club has several players they took before they took him. And uh, so, so they, they have reasons why they didn't take him, maybe didn't have the speed, maybe didn't have the history or whatever, but no excuses for any club to have passed on him that many rounds. John, what's that like for a scout? Like when <laughs> you see a guy who's, cause I, I'm always so curious about this, whether it's in hockey or, or baseball or football, like when you see a guy that's selected in the third, fourth, fifth round and you're sitting, you're going, how many teams, how is it possible to pass up on a guy like this? Right. And we had two. So, so every club has done their, history on that we had two guys that actually liked him around the fifth round and then around the tenth round but for whatever reason his tools didn't fit what we were taking at the time and that was a little before i was the scouting director at the same time you look back at the 12 players that you took and it's just an awful feeling the number one bad feeling you have as a scout is not getting the player that you really wanted and we just didn't have people that said hey this is the guy uh, we should have had that though Who's the number one guy on that list for you, John? You've been doing this for 30 years now. When you look back, and I, hopefully I'm not bringing up an agonizing memory, but <laughs> who, who's the guy that you're like, man, we, we should have had that guy? Well, I have. So when I was the scouting director, and of course I've done it for a long time in other capacities, but I remember a year where I passed on both Jacob Ellsbury and Matt Garza. And in the theory, as you, you look as an organization, we thought Ellsbury was a good player but he wasn't a great player. He turned out to be a great player. So we were wrong about our assessment, underassessed him. You wish you had him. And then I jokingly think all Matt Garza had was four major league average pitches or better in college, and we passed on him. 
And those are the guys that spend 10 to 15 years in the big league. So not, not great Hall of Fame guy, although Jacob Ellsbury had an unbelievable career. How do you differentiate all that information when you're the scouting director, John? Because, of course, you have a bunch of different scouts that are all over the place, and you know they come to the table and they bring all of their information. Uh, do you plot out, like, okay, guys, like a position that we're looking at or certain guys that you're looking at, or does that just come down to draft position? Well, it's draft position. In baseball, it's different. The other sports, there's a lot more of you go to the NFL, they don't have a farm system. So you are so far from the big leagues when you're drafted, especially out of high school. You might be five to eight years. And I used to jokingly in Chicago with the media, they didn't understand it. They would say, hey, how do you feel about your draft this year? It's like, well, we'll know in 22 years when they're all retired. <laughs> in the NFL and other sports, you do target your needs more. But for, for you to take the, the one exception was my first year as a scouting director was Mark Pryor, who literally at USC, I think he walked 13 hitters his entire spring season, junior year. And when you watched him, if he were 3-0, and you had no confidence he was going to walk the guy. He would get back in and get the zone. So that was a guy that literally could go, you know, with a little bit of not training but just adjustments to the big league level and help. Other than that, it takes them so long. Even a Mike Trout, great player, but it took him a, a few years to get there and uh, perform. Therefore, to draft him thinking he's our left fielder next year would not be the way to go. We're talking to John Stocksill. He's been a uh, scout or front office executive in, in some capacity in Major League Baseball for the last 30 years. Joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Uh, John, I did want to take a look at um, what scouting was when you first started and where it is today. What are the biggest changes to the way that you go about scouting today compared to where it was whenever you first started doing this? Well, the changes are the available technology. We, we, we talk in terms of there's nothing really that's new, but the technology makes it so much easier for you to have access to everything. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, when I was with Baltimore, when Dan Duquette came in, he drafted a guy named Gosman, who's had a very good career, but he was at LSU. And at that time, he was probably on television at least 18 of his outings. So you could literally take that guy, and we're going back, say, 10 years now, and have your major league pitching coach watch him, your manager watch him. They could watch all outings. That didn't happen 25 years ago. You would have people with VHS tapes. They would go tape them, and, and you had access. Now the technology is at the place that scouting directors or any people in scouting have access to all kinds of immediate video uh, for, for 10 years uh, of, of history as well. So, What's more, What position is more difficult to scout, John? Is it pitching or is it position players? Well, it, it's position players to get the exact um, – uh, evaluation on. We always joke in our industry where we're we're wrong about the players that we're right on. So when you look at a player like a Joey Maurer, everybody thought he was going to be a real good player. He's a Hall of Fame type player. So even when you're right on him, you're a little bit too low on him. So you try to get, let's get it as close as we can. The problem with pitching is just simply injuries. You You never know who's going to break down. A player can have Four above-average pitches have an arm issue and then never pitch again. And there's not a lot you can do about that. That's where the game is evolving to where the medicals coming out of the draft are a little bit, uh, quite a bit better than they were 20, 30 years ago. 
John, how much does your division play into the decisions that you make as a team, whether it be in in the scouting side of things or just building your roster? How much does the division itself play into it? And I'm kind of thinking back to your early 2000s time with the Cubs in particular, as the Cardinals have the MVP, MV3 era that they've got going on. How much did you look at what was taking place around you in the division? You looked, but when I went from Chicago to Baltimore for the 2006 season, you went to the AL East from the NL Central. And you, if you were literally the, all the years I was with the Cubs, you would have, if you won 83 to 87 games, you were in it the last five days of the season. When you went to the AL East, if you weren't at, uh, knocking on the door at 96 wins, you had no chance at the playoffs. So it makes a big difference on the length of time that you're building. Are you building to take over the Yankees and Red Sox who are both winning 96 to 98 back in the 2008 or so? Or are you trying to get, I think St. Louis won, maybe they won the World Series that year and only won like 83 or 84 mm-hmm. uh, during the year. So that's not a slam on them. They did a great job. The competition made a lot of differences to how good you have to be down the road. It's interesting. And and now, like, you, you look around the game today and in the National League, you've got the Padres and the Dodgers who just, I mean, the, the amount of talent that they have accumulated on their roster, what does that do? Like, the Cardinals right now are trying to compete for a World Series. They added Nolan Arenado in the offseason. But how does that factor into the way that these teams are trying to build as well? Well, it, it's a big factor because if you look at the the playoff complex uh, uh, set up now we have 10 teams years back you had four teams then it went to six and eight whatever now a lot of clubs make the playoffs for one game or one playoff uh, play in game before the pandemic so you have to make up your decision are you going to be a contender that's going to go through three or four levels of playoffs or are you just trying to get to the playoffs and there's nothing wrong with getting to the playoffs but you'll see a lot of one and out teams uh, with Chicago, they did a great job. Even after I left to, for Baltimore, I think 08, 9, and 10, they, they were arguably one of the best teams in baseball, but they lost three and out, I think, two or three different times. Mm-hmm. And they, you, could, you could have argued they were the best team one of those years, but just never even got to the second round. So you can spend a lot of money and a lot of time building, but if you miss on that, you have to take your chances on a three-game series, how much you're going to put in there, and then the small market, big market really comes into play. John Stock still joining us for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Been a scout or a front office executive in some capacity in Major League Baseball for the last 30 years. John, when you look around baseball today, I'm always curious for baseball lifers like yourself, who's your favorite player to watch? Well, I mean, you love, you love watching Mike Trout, but you, you actually have favorites that you played. When, when I was growing up, I signed with the Cubs in 78, so I, I had a four-year minor league playing career with the Cubs, but I was from southern Missouri. So one of my heroes was Ted Simmons, who I then got to scout and scout with. And so you, you look at things that have kind of been a dream come true for you, but you would watch the hitting techniques of a Ted Simmons, who I – I thought was one of the best hitters that ever played the game because he couldn't run. He didn't get any cheap hits. He would hit the ball to all fields and do things. So you, you looked at those type of activities rather than maybe the, the Ken Griffey Jr. was a great player to watch. And as you get older, you live through their whole career. When you're younger, it's like, oh, I watched that guy for three or four mm-hmm. years. Now I find myself, I watched him for 22 years, scouted him in amateur, A-Rod, all of those guys are just in the era 
that you watched as a 16-year-old and then you watched them retire. So were you a Cardinals fan growing up then? I was somewhat. Uh, my brother was a Cardinals fan. I was an Oakland A's fan myself at 72, 73, 74, and I watched those guys. So when we would play in the backyard, it was always Oakland beating St. Louis, if that was possible. That's amazing. I, I love it. Um, who who were the guys? I don't know how, how much you got a chance to watch the early 80s Cardinals teams, but how much did you enjoy watching the Whitey Ball era of St. Louis? And do you think we'll ever see a time period in Major League Baseball again where we have teams like that that are stealing 100-plus bags a year? I believe you will. I think you're seeing all of this stuff happens in cycles, but it's all fan-based. So I just watched... Uh, as a matter of fact, I was in Kansas City about three or four weeks ago, and they have about five or six speed players that they're kind of going back to a more traditional game. Um, I know some of the rules are trying to help baseball get back there, but the fan interest is a big thing. So, so if you look at the Royals now with about six speed, speedy youngsters, Whitey Herzog had all those guys in the early 80s, late, late 70s, and uh, Phillies had a team that they built with speed as well around 80. So, Final question that I've got for you, John, is you've gone around baseball this year. Who's the best team that you've seen so far? Well, it, it's, 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 um, it's, it'll even out as it goes. I still think the Yankees have a great base. They just were not clicking early. They've got to get everything. It's 162 games, we hope. And as it goes forward, they have a tendency to rise to the top and then make the player acquisitions to, to uh, get on top. Um, other teams have played well out of the shoot and then fallen back. This is, this is a year that it's a little more even than I've seen it in a long time. Clubs that were playing 700 ball went to playing 300 ball, and now it's, it's fairly close. Interesting. He's John Stockwell, or Stockstill, rather. He's been a scout or front office executive in Major League Baseball for 30 years. John, we sincerely appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much, and all the best to you and the team. All right. Thank you very much. Absolutely. That's John Stockstill joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's interesting that he mentions there at the end how it's such a, uh, a close race between everybody in baseball. The only teams that have a winning percentage right now, Tanner, above 600 are the Chicago White Sox and the San Francisco Giants. Those are the only two teams in baseball with a winning percentage above 600 so and, far this year. one of those is surprising, too. Yeah. The White Sox, you could have maybe called that. We thought they'd be really good out of the AL Central. The Giants, we thought, no, it'd be the Dodgers. We thought maybe the Padres would sit in that category. Hell, I kind of thought the Braves could sit in that category. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Uh, always love talking to guys that have been lifers in this game. Huge thanks to John Stockstill for joining us here on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. And I'll kick things off for you guys today. Please. So this was a story that I found over on KMOV. Oh, I feel like this is something that has probably been a significant part of Tanner's life of late. Tinder. Yes. So the White House has partnered with dating apps to encourage <laughs> COVID vaccines. Nailed and I it. just... I really wanted to ask Tanner, you know, as he's swiping to the right. Super is, swiping. True. 
is there something on the profile now that says like vaccinated check like is, is there anything that would tell you how that works tanner i haven't seen that but i've been busy swiping does it say vaxxed waxed and ready to mingle no but that's good that's good stuff I should get that. That should be on my profile. I think it should. I think you should change your Twitter profile your, to it. Your Twitter profile is going to say vaxxed, waxed, waxed and ready to and mingle. Ready to mingle. Yeah. Why not? Interesting. Go for um, it. So send, hey, you to gotta the, send it. According to the story, <laughs> vaccinated users on Tinder, Hinge, OkCupid, Chispa, Plenty of Fish, Bumble, and Badoo. God, I'm old. We'll gain access to premium content like boosts, Ooh. super likes, Ooh. and super swipes. Super swipe! With proof of vaccination, according to the White House. So this is basically like if you're playing a video game, you get an extra life. Yeah. It's like like the, that's yeah. pretty much what this is. It's like right? the green mushroom in Mario Brothers. You just one up <laughs> that life. Yeah, you just one up that life because of something like this. That's incredible. I just I don't understand why people are throwing shade at Farmers Only, the dating app. Yeah, why weren't they mentioned? Like every time we Do you have, have the a story. super swipes on Farmers Only. Uh, T Bone Tanner. I don't know. I'm not on Farmers Only. Why you should Grant, have? I am from Farmer Country. I probably should be. And you might be able to hook yourself up with somebody. I there. How many users there are nowadays on Tinder? Oh, I think a lot because it's not a dating app anymore. I'm still swiping and haven't seen any. Uh, Seven. Same. As of 2019, there were 7.9 million users. My God. My God. T-Bone, how's oh. that feel? It is estimated like a lot now. Of fish out in the sea. That's one of the dating apps. It is estimated oh, yeah. now that 66 million people use Tinder. Wow. 66 million people. Hey, man. People need love in all the right places. My God. So speaking of the White House, boys, um, Monica Lewinsky. We all remember her. T-Bone, no. you might not remember her. Yeah, Tanner doesn't. Um, she's, well, I saw this morning she was trending on Twitter, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, what did she do this time? So Uber Facts, which it's, it's a Twitter account. It has the most unimportant things you'll ever need to know. They put a question out there today. And it says, what's the most high-risk, low-reward thing you've ever done? Comment below. Well, Monica Lewinsky decides to quote tweet that with the two eyeball emoji that's like, oh boy, shouldn't talk about this. I just don't understand. Well, I do understand because she gets popular off of this, but like you go from being in a situation where it's like, I can't believe this, and to now she's making jokes about it on social media. I mean, you got to laugh to keep from crying sometimes, right? Like, well, that's what I do every day on this show. It's a defense mechanism. You? Yes. You I cry laugh. at home? Hey, man, we need to do... That's why you leave? T-Bone, we need to do a check on this, man. Like, we need some, like, somber music or something. There's somebody like, on the text line that's been very upset with I know. He's today. very unhappy with you. Are you okay, man? Yeah, I'm good. You good? I'm good. Like, you're worth it, man. <laughs> you need to know that. I I live I live a very happy life. You guys know that. I come in every day and I'm I I love the job that I have and I'm lucky to have this job. So got martinis in the office, smoking cigars. That's right. Dude, we talked about not using that in the office. I've got a smoked old fashioned waiting for me in the office today for after the after the show. I have I'm smoked very salmon much waiting for me in the office too. Really? 
Yeah, that sounds good. We should split it up. I'll have half of your smoked salmon. You can have half of my smoked salmon. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't split things. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Fair That's enough. That, unless that actually makes sense. Unless to me. you're waxed, vaxed, and ready to mingle like T-Bone over here. So I get half your salmon. You can have half my salmon. Let's go. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get the latest from Blues practice with Lou Korak, our Blues insider for NHL.com. It does not sound like Vince Dunn is going to play for the Blues tonight, but we'll ask is Lou he? Korak about that coming up in about 15 minutes coming up next the Cardinals rotation is finally set and the formula is very clear as to how this team continues to win moving forward we'll talk about it on 101 ESPN this is the BK and Ferrario podcast now here's BK and Ferrario With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The Cardinals are taking on the Cubs tonight, and Carlos Martinez has officially been activated. This happened moments ago, according to the Cardinals. He has been activated from the 10-day injured list. If you missed it yesterday, John Nagowski was sent down to AAA, so that's a corresponding move. Martinez ready to go for tonight's game. And guys, the Cardinals finally have the rotation set in a way that they haven't all year long. Tonight, it's Carlos. Tomorrow, you've got Miles Michaelis making his 2021 season debut. And then Sunday, it'll be Adam Wainwright on ESPN's Sunday Night Baseball. I'm curious, what does the Miles Michaelis insertion into the rotation do for your confidence in this rotation? Does it change anything for you, Alex? Because I, it does make me feel a little better because at a very minimum, I know he ain't going to be out there walking a bunch of dudes. Well, and the fact that you know he's going to give you at least six innings because, I mean, he he is a Lance Lynn-type player where he just does not want to leave the mound. And as long as injuries stay away, which, knock on wood, they do. But if you look at his last two starts in the minors and his rehab stints, he looked awesome. I mean, he was giving them six, seven innings of baseball, and he was giving them strikeouts, which is what you can ask for right now. So I do have some comfort knowing that despite how great John Gant has been, and I am his biggest um, yes, you are. I am his biggest celebrator, because I can't think of a better word. Fan. No, celebrator is better. I'll stick with that one. Advocate. Okay, that one's pretty good. That sounds smart. Advocate. But with him, with KK, and a little bit with Adam Wainwright these last couple of starts, I know I'm getting somebody who can give me at least six innings of solid pitching on the mound compared to those three where it's been a little struggling as of late. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm excited to see Michaels come back because he is going to cut down on the walks. He only had two walks and four or 12 and a third innings pitch in That's his great. rehab stint. So I'm excited to see that. I am curious to see, though, the home run ball because that was something that plagued him in his 2019 season where he had a 4.16 ERA. I, I think if he can be... I think he can be a solid three for the Cardinals if he's healthy, and I, I think that's big. I still think they're going to need another starter. I don't just because I don't see this rotation as elite right now. I think it's good. It's not elite because Jack Flaherty's an ace, and then you look at the rest of it, and I just go maybe a bunch of twos and threes. But I would like to have another eight, another two that is clearly a two, and if not on the verge of being a one. Yeah, and I don't think Michaelis is going to be that just because of the strike and uh, the swing and miss stuff isn't necessarily there for him. But he's another guy that makes me feel like you're getting consistency. And with the way that the Cardinals have been playing of late, and the way that specifically Miles Michaelis pitches, honestly, he makes a lot of sense for this team. They've got a great infield defense, and he gets a ton of ground balls. Uh, he's a guy that is not going to walk a bunch of batters. In fact, in 2018-2019, when he was with the Cards, 
there were 54 qualified starters in Major League Baseball. The only one that walked a lower percentage of batters among those 54 than Michaelis was Mike Leak. So he is consistently throwing strikes. He's getting ground balls. You know this defense is the best in the league at converting those into outs. So I fully expect he's going to be pretty successful this season as long as he's healthy. And that's always been the disclaimer with Miles Michaelis over the last few years. But now that he's back, I think he's going to stick in the rotation. I do think that means John Gannon's up in the bullpen, Alex. And it's going to be a couple of weeks until that is the case. But when Gant goes to the bullpen, suddenly, kind of like when Harrison Bader entered the mix into the lineup, I think that's going to make everything fit a little bit better. Bader's not the best player on this team. But with him in the lineup and him cleaning things up with their outfield defense, they're Bader. They're better. Or Bader. Or Bader. And it suddenly made everything make a little bit more sense. I think the same thing's going to happen with Miles Michaelis. When he gets back into the rotation and you've got a guy that is just settling things down a little bit, you don't have the walk issues. Once every five days, you know he's going to throw strikes. I think that's going to be really big for this team. And the part that I love about Miles Michaelis is he is a contact pitcher. Like yep. he, he's a guy who goes for ground balls, and that's why his pitch counts are usually so low. I'll go back to that year that he was in the Cy Young consideration, his first year where he signed with the Cardinals. I mean, I think his ground ball rate of any pitcher in the National League was top three, if I'm not mistaken. And now with this staff behind you, I mean, what's been the biggest gripe we've been having about this pitching staff, including the bullpen? Why aren't you pitching for contact? Like, stop trying to paint the sides with these players. Go for contact because you have the best defense behind you. Miles Michaelis is going to do that, which is going to take some some innings off of the bullpen, which has been overworked without question right now. And I think that settles down the other guys also. Like, I think that settles down Agreed. a KK and a Wayno and a Martinez because they don't have to be the saviors right now. Like, that's what everyone's been trying to do. So with Michael is back, I think this affects everything. And yeah, I do give some comfort or some comfort going into the series knowing he's back. All I need for Miles Michaelis consistently is to give you quality starts. The Cardinals this year, when they have received a quality start, which is six or more innings, three earned runs or fewer from their starter, they're eleven and three in those fourteen games when they received a quality start from their starter. They also have two other things that have kind of been the bellwether stats for this season, Alex. They're 18 and one when Tommy Edmonds scores a run in that game, 18 and one so far this year. And when they hit a home run, they're 21 and nine. So what you want to see over the weekend, my God, my, my, my brain's going to explode. What are they when Tommy Edmonds hits a home run? <laughs> I'll have to look that oh up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when, when the, when the starter goes onto the mound, you need to get at least six innings, three earned runs or less. You need Tommy Edmonds to score and you need somebody, even if it's Tommy Edmonds to hit a home run. When those three things happen, that's the key to the Cardinals this year. So basically pitch well, get your leadoff hitter into score and hit a home run at some point over the course of the game. Seriously, Tommy Edmund hitting a home run this team might just be undefeated this season. Basically. That yeah, would be incredible. I'll, I'll actually look that I up. I think we'll, I'm going to look that we'll up. We'll see where they're at with that. Speaking of guys that have been incredible of late, Paul Goldschmidt is heating up at the exact right time. And you know, we love our guy, Greg Amsinger. He does fantastic work with MLB Network and native St. Louis and Lindenwood grad. You're alone with you. you. And he does fantastic work whenever he's on weekly with Carriker and Smallman. Guys, the Cardinals are undefeated when Tommy Edmond hits a home run. So Tommy Edmond oh. just consistently hits home runs. That's the formula to win. He's only got two, but it's fine. They're 2-0. Okay, Greg Amsinger, proud of Lindenwood. You ruined it. You ruined it, Tanner. But... 
I got to be a little critical of our guy, Greg Gamsinger. Oh, my God. Why? What happened? He put together a list of the top nine, which is a weird cutoff, but whatever. <laughs> First baseman in the National League are so there far all, this are year. only nine of them in the National League. <laughs> and I'll let you take a listen to who he didn't have on his list. Who would make up the top nine NL first basemen offensively? Now, you're going to be upset with me if you're a fan in St. Louis. Paul Goldschmidt doesn't make this list. No, neither does Anthony Rizzo on the north side of Chicago or Joey Votto, who's been a mainstay. Uh, The guy that comes in at number nine, because it's Greg's list, is my all-time favorite first baseman who's in the lineup, batting fourth for the Dodgers tonight, playing first base, which I think he's going to do an awful lot of in L.A. Let play Albert Pujols. No, He's number nine on Greg's on. list because it's Greg's list. Hold go ahead and tweet on. at me. What Did this he talking well, about? Also, he said, go ahead and tweet at me, and this man's not even on Twitter. Yeah, that's the other thing. But this man honestly put Albert Pujols ahead of Paul Goldschmidt. Correct. Come on. How As an top offensive 15? first baseman. He's not even their first baseman. He's the fill-in first baseman for him until... Cody Bellinger's back, and then when Gavin Lux is back, and when Corey Seager's back. Again, I think Greg Amzinger is very good at his job. He does excellent work for MLB Network, and I can't wait to hear what the morning show asks him about this when he comes on with them next week. This is ridiculous. So what was his entire list? Do you know? I'll have to look it up. I can find that for you here in just a second. I don't think he's that far off from not... I mean, Paul Goldschmidt would be on that list, but I, I don't know if he would crack top five for me. I mean, if you look at batting average and slug per or in in the slash line this season, he's towards the bottom of the National League in terms of everyday first baseman. I mean, Hosmer's better, Muncy's better, Aguilar's better, Hoskins is better, Pete Alonso not as good in terms of the batting average, but the slash line is better. Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo, all those guys are better than Paul Goldschmidt right now. So his top nine, <laughs> keep wanting to say <laughs> top ten, I don't understand. Thing. Uh, Jesus Aguilar. Max Muncy. So he he had Max Muncy and Albert Pujols on this list. You can't have two first basemans, Greg, because they're not both first basemen. Uh, Brandon Belt, Freddie Freeman, Eric Cosmer, Pete Alonzo, Reese Hoskins, CJ Crone. CJ Crone was on this CJ list. Crone? Is he's, he the, pl- in Colorado. he's actually been really good for Has Colorado he? so far this year. So here's year, what but. I'm looking at, and I isolated first baseman in the National League, and they only have nine on here, which is actually kind of funny. Maybe that's why Greg's going with the top nine. But in on-base percentage, Paul Goldschmidt is eighth. Slugging percentage, Paul Goldschmidt is eighth. On uh, OPS, Paul Goldschmidt is eighth. Batting average, Paul Goldschmidt is sixth. Paul Goldschmidt's one of the nine best offensive first basemen in the National League. Pujols isn't even top 15, and there's 15 National League teams. I don't even think Pujols is registered as a National League first baseman right now, to be honest with you. He's played two games. It's it's ridiculous. Paul Gold, like oh no, he does. I understand that his production has not been up to those standards just yet. He's if you look at the OPS plus stuff, where 100 is league average, he's literally at league average right now with his offensive production on the season. Goldie is so I get it. Based on that, you wouldn't have him up in the top nine, maybe even. Although again, such an arbitrary number, <laughs> maybe seven. <laughs> but we all know he's going to get up there. Like we all know yeah. that by the end of the season, he's going to be batting 270 or above. He's going to have a slugging percentage in the 450s or above, likely above that, because he's starting to do it already. Mm-hmm. In the month of May, he's hitting 317 with a 900 OPS. He has as many extra base hits in 16 games this month 
as he did in 25 in March and April. Yeah. So, yeah, Paul Goldschmidt's going to be just fine. He's heating up at the right time. The weather's starting to get warmer. We know he does this every single season. I don't understand how anybody, especially a smart baseball man like Greg Amzinger, could possibly not what's, have Goldie on a what's list What's going like to happen this. to Greg's list when Pujols is a Cardinal at the end of the season? Just <laughs> mind exploding. Well, Pujols at that point is going to go from number nine to number one. Come on, let's be or honest he here. won't be on the top nine anymore for Greg. He'll be like, oh, no, he's not on there anymore. Sorry, boys. You know what happens? He's going to have Goldie and Pujols one, two. That, that, that'll be the way that works for, for Craig. I'm, I'm okay. He's just making Cardinals fans upset, and then he'll put it up there at the top two once things get to be uh, both on the Cardinals roster. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. One's got to go coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, we'll talk to our guy Luke Korak about what's going on with the Blues defensive pairings and is Vince Dunn going to be available or not? Because there seems to be some conflicting thoughts on this. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. coming out of Blues practice this morning, or there were was news, rather. Nothing new, really. But Vince Dunn was on the ice today, but then he stayed afterwards to skate extra. And typically, Alex, as you know, I'm the hockey guy here, but I'll explain to you. Oh, my gosh. When you stay afterwards, it typically means that you're not going to be playing in that night's game. That was the case for Clem Costin. It was also the case for Vince Dunn. But then Craig Berube told the media afterwards that Vince Dunn is a game time decision. And so now it has been thrown into flux as to whether or not he is going to be available tonight. We don't know anything more than that. That's that's all we know right now. If you had to guess, do you think that Vince Dunn will play tonight? I do. Now that Craig Berube said he's a game time decision, because you are right. Like when they skate with the extras, they're not playing. Um, Clem Costin was a part of the extras, but he was a part of the line rushes and he was basically a placeholder for Schwartz. So you'd look at that and you'd say, well, okay, Dunn's probably a placeholder for Marco Scandella. But everyone was jumbled up on those rushes because you don't have Bortuzzo or Falk. So yeah, because he said it's a game time decision, I would I would envision Vince Dunn to be playing because I just I legitimately can't see them playing Mitch Rinky over Vince Dunn. And a little part of the reason, too, that they might be playing Vince Dunn or skating him with those extras is to get more work. And because he's missed so much time, you want him to go out there and do some more skating, do some more rushes, get banged around a little bit with some of those guys. And then you tell him, it's like, okay, he's ready to go. Usually the game time decision is let's see how the body reacts to a heavy skate today. I wonder if this game time decision is, yeah, we, we're not going to play him. Like, it, it, he's he's not a part of our lineup right now. I, I hope you're right. I would like to see Vince Dunn out there. I think it makes a lot of sense for Vince Dunn to be a part of these defensive pairings. I think he's one of your, at a minimum, six best defensemen that are available right now. Like, Vince Dunn is definitely that. If he's healthy. If he's not, then that's a different discussion entirely. But if he's healthy right now, I think he gives you your best chance to win by being in the lineup. And if he's not healthy right now, I wish they would just come out and say that. I wish they would just say, hey, listen, like we're we're hopeful that Vince Dunn is going to be able to help us eventually. But right now, he's just not there quite yet health wise. 
But this is creating some confusion, well, I think, for fans. That's good old hockey for you because yeah. they go upper body, lower body. They keep things close to the chest. They it's used funny. to do this with COVID last yeah. year too, right? It's funny too. Uh, Dean Evanson, the head coach for the Minnesota Wild today, one of their players was injured in the previous game, and they asked him, you know, what's wrong? Is he available? And they said, no, he's got a broken arm. Like, oh, why can't we do this more, guys? <laughs> See, that's the thing. Is like, it, it it seems so simple. Just come yeah. out and say what it is. But neither here nor there. Right now, let's go out to the Brown Group and Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by our Blues insider, Lou Korak. Lou uh, Ball! Lou, what's going on with Vince Dunn, man? Can you explain this to us? I wish I could. Um, <laughs> all we know, he's a game-time decision. That's according to Craig Berube. But I'll be honest, guys, I find it hard to believe that he's going to be in the lineup. I mean, man, he was out there for quite an extensive period uh, working with uh, the extra guys, uh, which usually is a pretty good indication of a guy that's not going to play. But you know what? This is the playoffs. Uh, anything can happen. <laughs> and Craig Berube was asked, you know, how he looked out there and kind of sarcastically goes really good. So whatever that means, we don't know yet, guys. But you know what? At this point, with what their blue line looks like, um, if he can play, even at uh, whatever percentage he's at right now, and you know, with whatever he's dealing with with the upper body, we you know we don't know officially what it is, but we have a pretty good idea of what it is. Uh, any any chance of getting Vince Dunn in the lineup uh, would be really a shot in the arm right now because uh, both Falk and Bortuzzo have been ruled out for tonight. Okay, Lou. So follow up question for me. Is he healthy right now? Like, is this a situation where he's trying to get his sea legs back? He's trying to get back into shape because he's been practicing now with the team for a while. But it just if he is healthy, it seems very surprising, at least to me from the outside looking in, that he would not be a part of what is going to be probably the biggest game of the season tonight. But am I misreading this? No, you're not misreading it. But I mean, you know, guys, it's anything uh when you're dealing with uh you know a head injury and we know what that refers to if you're talking concussion symptoms here you know it it could change from one moment to the next so yeah he has been skating and uh you know from the times that you know we have been able to visibly see him out there and i saw him out on the ice obviously a couple of times there in colorado as well you know leading up to games one and two and but you know he in those sessions as well, he's just been out there longer than anybody else, which, you know, is usually that indication that he's not going to be available and not going to be able to play. And I just think it's one of those situations where you see how the guy is feeling. And that's pretty much all you can do. It's really up to the player in those situations. And uh, that's, that's always been the case. You know, the coach will maybe sit back and say, how are you feeling? Uh, you feel like you're up to going and they'll tell you whether they can go or not. And uh, that's always been the case or, you know, sometimes a coach will just sit back and let you let them know how they're feeling. So I think that's where we're at with Vince Dunn right now. And it, it's literally, I don't even want to say a, a day-to-day thing. It's almost like a, a minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour thing, just based on how you're feeling. Speaking of head injuries, Lou, uh, Craig Bruby gave an update on Falcon Bortuzzo today. He said that uh, both are doing okay, and he said that they, they could return at some point in this series. Obviously not available for tonight's game. Are you surprised that it wasn't as serious of an injury with Justin Falk or Robert Bortuzzo? Yeah, Alex, that's just another one of those things where, you know, it just depends on how the guy is feeling. And I think it's it's pretty obvious we know what those guys are dealing with. Right. They're both head injuries. I mean, one was an elbow and one was a pretty, pretty vicious shot to the chin of Justin Falk, you know, and uh, you know, so we're dealing with head injuries here and uh, 
you know, Craig Berube, you heard him say it, he, you know, it, it could be a turn for the worst in a couple of days or it could get better. It's, it, it's kind of the same situation there. You just kind of wait and see and the guys will tell you how they're feeling. But, uh, yeah, I was actually a little bit surprised when he came out and said that, uh, you know, Falk was doing okay because I'll tell you what, guys, I mean, you know, I saw it live and you guys saw it just as well. I mean, it was uh, – that was one of the blindside things that, you know, nobody could expect to see and, and certainly not a player on the ice. You know, you don't see that coming and man, it's, it's like getting hit like by a freight train. And uh, you could see that he was knocked out on the ice and, and it didn't look good initially, but uh, that is good news. So, you know, could they use them? Sure. But you know, you, you got to watch out for the players health here. And if there's any chance that they can come back uh, later on in this series, depending on how far it goes, man, that, that could be a real big boost for these guys because they can certainly use, especially a guy like Falk who plays such big and heavy minutes. Hey, last, I guess, health-related question that I have for you, Lou, and I, I don't know if we have any update on this at all, but what's what's the latest with David Perron? Is there any update on, like, timeline-wise when the Blues could potentially get him back? No, there hasn't really been anything disclosed on that. You know, I, I think we're to the point now where, we would have known by now if we were talking about contact tracing or, you know, if, if we were talking about uh, a false positive. I mean, he got put on the list on Saturday. So I think we're pretty well under the understanding without getting the official word that uh, it, it was an actual positive test. So, you know, you're looking at a 10 day quarantine and then anything after that, uh, he's uh, going to have to go through some fitness testing and basically get cleared by doctors. So, if I had to put a timeline on this, you're probably looking, you know, at, you know, 10 days at the earliest, you're probably looking at anything up to two weeks. So uh, chances of seeing him in this series are remote uh, at best. Uh, and, and I'm giving, I'm trying to give as positive an outlook on this as I can, but man, do they really miss him? Because, uh, you know, what a great series or a great season David Perron has had. And you just have to feel bad for him because, He's a hockey lifer. He's a hockey junkie. And, man, you don't think he'd rather be out there right now helping his teammates. And it's got to be the worst and most helpless feeling for him. And, uh, but that's the situation that not only the Blues are dealing with, but everybody's dealing with with this COVID uh, during this hockey season. And a weird one that is. Lou, final one from me. Are you surprised if the forward situation stays the way that it is? Because I'm not sure if Craig Berube confirmed if anybody's in or out in terms of those forwards. But are you surprised that Berube isn't going with any change of personnel with new guys? I thought maybe there might be an outside chance that, you know, even a guy like Clint Costin might get in there just from a physical standpoint. Uh, but uh, you know what? Um, he's going to go with the guys that he feels like got, got him here. And it might be one of those situations where it's tough to throw a young guy into this situation, just throw him into the fire knowing what's at stake here. But you know what? The way I look at it is um, just some fresh legs and uh, maybe a hungry, young, motivated player might be the infusion that you need. Uh, so, but as far as any other changes, you know, Jason Schwartz uh, is going to play. He took a maintenance day today, as did Marco Scandella. He he'll be available to play tonight. So, uh, but yeah, I am I am a little bit surprised uh, just just to get a different look out there because you know you're down 0-2 in the series right now. To me, at this point, uh, Colorado's obviously got the bigger upper hand. What do you have to lose at this point? So maybe something uh, a change of pace might tilt the tides for you in this series, but. Uh, you know, maybe they feel like, uh, you know, these are the horses that got us here. Let's see if they, if they can help us turn this thing around. Lou, 
the Blues are without David Perron. Vladdy looks like he's at like 50% right now. Two of your starting defensemen are out in this game. It's a question as to whether or not Vince Dunn is going to be available. And you're going up against the team that was the best team in the NHL all season long this year and has the best line in the NHL. What gives you any confidence, if you have any, honestly, that the Blues can get back into this series? So are you giving me one of these, uh, so you're saying there's no chance? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what BK well, does here. I am just curious, like, for some reason, I have in my mind that the Blues are going to find a way to win this game, either tonight or on Sunday. And I'm just like, I'm all, also thinking to myself, how does that happen with the lineup that they have right now? <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying, and, and it makes all the sense in the world, I mean. But you know what? It's one of those... Uh, situations where I look at it, guys, uh, sometimes that us against the world mentality brings out the best in, in the small group that you actually have. So they listen, they better win tonight because uh, if you go down 0-3 against this team, uh, you might as well uh, close the curtains because <laughs> I don't, I don't see a four game comeback against uh, a team like that. That is absolutely playing at its best right now. And uh, one that doesn't seem to uh feel sorry for you in the least. Uh, you know, they're not going to have Nazem Kadri, which, you know, is pretty obvious here. And uh, it'll be a loss for them because now Colorado's going to have to, uh, you know, alter uh, some, of, some of their lines there as well. I mean, it, it's going to change things up for their second, third, and fourth lines, which we obviously know they're, they're kind of the tails to the guys that are, that are leading, you know, the charge here with uh, the McKinnon line. So, yeah, the Blues are going to have to, you know, focus on those guys, but yeah, I mean, I think they can come out and, you know, they're going to come out buzzing tonight. I mean, there's no reason not to let's put it that way. And, and, and you need to come out and set the tone early. I think that's, what's really going to be the key for this team tonight. I mean, they've had such poor first periods in games one and two. Uh, if you come out and establish yourself and set the tone in this game, uh, just build little by little. I mean, you're you're starting from the bottom and working your way up. So if you can come out and at least have a good start, build some momentum, get a lead because you haven't had a lead in this series yet. So get a lead and uh, and play with some confidence. You never know what can happen. Lou, we're looking forward to it. People can hear the game tonight. Game number three between the Blues and the Avalanche tonight at 7.30. Pre-game with Alex Ferrario, 8.30 puck drop with Curbs and Joey. We'll be watching for your coverage over on NHL.com. We'll be following you on Twitter at LCORAC10. All the best, Lou. We'll talk with you soon, my man. Okay, boys. Good to hear from you. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Lou Korak joining us here on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. One got to go coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service tax line you give us four options we will tell you which one's gotta go it's a game that we like to play called one gotta go one gotta go i always think it's one's gotta go but it's one gotta go one gotta go all right let's start out with this one one gotta go chicken wing sauce edition man now i'm hungry again garlic parm buffalo classic buffalo barbecue or habanero garlic parm Buffalo, barbecue, or habanero? Tanner, we'll start with you, my man. Oh, that's tough. Barbecue and buffalo got to stay. 
They're definitely the best, too. Uh, what is that shaking the head no for? Well, I'll save mine for once you're done with your terrible takes. Haban- habanero? I think that's You can't gotta, even pronounce it. I think it. that's got to stay, too. That's good stuff. Habanero. I'm going to say the garlic par- Garlic parmesan. Whatever's going to go. Don't shake your head yes. That's garlic. the correct no, answer. No, it's not. <laughs> garlic what kind of Italian awful. are you? You get rid of garlic and parmesan, two of the perfect ingredients for an Italian dish. Garlic parm is number two on the power rankings. Buffalo wings are number one, obviously. I'm getting rid of the barbecue ones. Really? What? Yeah. I, I just, barbecue wings are, are, buffalo wings are meant to be spicy. I don't want barbecue you wings. You just said you like garlic parmesan wings. Yeah, that's what some about spice to it. You put a little, you put more garlic than Parmesan. You got some spice to that bad boy. What? Yeah. Barbecue's got to go. Garlic it's is not spicy. Doesn't have what to are be you talking sp- about? Spicy doesn't have to be spicy. It's got to have a good spice to it. Right, got to have a good what, taste. What are you putting on your chicken? <laughs> not good barbecue sauce. This is chicken wing edition, not chicken edition. If it's chicken, I'm sticking with barbecue. But it's a chicken wing edition. I don't okay. need barbecue right. chicken wings. All right, I'm with Tanner on this one. I'm going garlic barb. 65780 is the air comfort service sex line for one got to go. One got to go house chore edition. Oh, God. Alex, I'm getting rid of all of these right now. All of them. But if you had to choose between one of these four, mowing the lawn, doing the dishes, laundry, or cleaning the bathroom. Mowing, doing the dishes, laundry, cleaning Wait, the bathroom. How big's my yard? Come on, Like a normal size yard. One's got to go. Don't be that guy. House chores edition. It's cleaning the bathroom. It's a proper answer here. That really? is the, there is nothing worse Awful. Then, then wiping down the bathtub and wiping down the under part of the toilet, it's which for some reason is always long. disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting though, it and it disgusting. does take a while to wipe down the freaking bathtub. Like it is ridiculous. Mowing the lawn is is awesome. Like You're I just love not putting it. Your elbow into it. No, I am, and that's why it's terrible. I Man, mow- we got hills on our entire yard. I I mowed the yard yesterday for the first time since moving into our new place. That was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal. Yeah. But it's still fun. It's still a way for you just to put put the iPod on, listen oh, to a podcast, music. It's nothing compared oh, to cleaning it. the bathroom. The dishes. I actually enjoy doing the dishes. That's like a, a soothing I'm thing at a night. Fan. Not a fan. And that's because your grandma yells at you when you do it. Laundry is just yeah, annoying because it's right. never ending. Like it feels like the moment that you're done doing laundry, you're starting to do the next load. So uh, that's just an, doing the dishes fine, mowing the yard fine. Cleaning the bathroom, Alex. You are. You've never said anything smarter on the show true. than you did in that moment. That's true. That is well, absolutely that the one that's got to go. No, that's not no, a shot. No, no, that's true. It, it was I a brilliant a thing things, to say. But that is the smartest thing ever. I think I'll agree with you guys. I think because you don't want to get butchered by us. I mean, I mowing the lawn was not that bad. So why won't you do it in my dishes? house for twenty bucks? Because <laughs> I'm not going to go to your house for twenty bucks. You live out in like boonies. Egypt. It's worth twenty bucks. Six five take twenty dollars in gas money to get to your house yeah, from here. Like ten. Ferrario. Alex lives in the lives in the woods. Yeah. Hey, it's a good price though. It, it is. One gotta go. Events that will take place before Tanner gets a date. This comes from the text line. Text line. Come on. Seattle. On the text line. This he just made this up. The BK. Seattle Mariners win the World Series. The invention of the flying car, Bill Gates goes broke, or Randy Carricker becomes a Patriots fan. I actually think there's a clear answer to this. Well, I think none. 
I think Mariners win a World Series. I think it's Bill Gates. Bill Gates goes broke because he's going through a divorce I was right say, now. say, yeah, that's that's <laughs> so, he's already technically broke because he's losing all of it to his kids and his wife. Well, he's losing at least half. I don't know how much he's losing exactly, but he's losing at least half. So out of these four options, that one's clearly the correct answer. Yeah, I think that's the correct answer, too. We all know RK's never going to be a Patriots fan. Mariners will win a World Series before no, you get a date. No, they won't. Um, I will guarantee that. I don't think I would guarantee that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go Bill Gates being broke because he's already halfway there. Somebody said, BK, can you even start a lawnmower? I had Kara do it. 65780, Zero Comfort Service text line Honey, for one's got to go. Start the mower for me. <laughs> One got to go. Fighting in hockey, touchdown dances, bat flips, or slam dunks. Fighting in hockey, touchdown dances, bat flips, or slam dunks. One's got to go. Sports edition. I'll go bat flips. Bat flips do nothing for me like the other You're three boring. do. You're yeah, boring. they do nothing for me like the other three do. Okay, cool. You chuck the bat and you screamed, "Let's go to your bench." Walk the run the bases and go back to your dugout. It's over. You've never had the touchdown. Run. Alex has never had an older man take in his life. I don't think yeah. so. The touchdown dances are always like entertaining. Tanner. Always entertaining. Every time, ninety percent of them are terrible. No, they're hilarious. <laughs> Fighting is great, and honestly, I think the slam dunks are pretty entertaining as well. So, yeah, I'm going to get rid of the bat flips. I'm debating bat flips and touchdown dances. Touchdown dances are always funny. Half of them, they give the ball to the big old lineman and he slams it. Yeah, touchdown dances got to go. That's not considered kind of a dance. That's not considered a dance. But that's, that's what it is. That's it's a, a celebration. celebration. No, he said touchdown dance. He I didn't say he touchdown celebration. He meant celebration. It, yeah, it's all the same. See, no, it's not. I'm going to say get rid of the touchdown celebrations. Oh, someone agrees. Same with here. Someone says Alex is on fire this segment. You're damn yeah, right. Awful take. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 636. All right, last one for you guys. One's got to go summer edition. The beach, float trips, swimming pool, or a game of cornhole. The beach, float trips, swimming pool, or a game of cornhole. One's got to go summer edition, Tanner. Like that's easy. Is that not easy? I'm going to get rid so. of cornhole. I don't mind being in the water. Being in the water, it's you're, hot. You're getting rid of your cornhole? Yeah. Man, that's, that's a good one. Which one are you going with? I'm getting rid of the... Uh, the beach, float trip, swimming pool, or cornhole. I'm getting rid of cornhole as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? Getting rid of your cornhole. What's going on yeah. with Alex it's, today? It's just a pointless. It's a pointless game in my opinion. Uh, it's not it's very fun. What? No, it's fun. No, it's not. It's not. It's not Spike fun. ball's way better. I don't know what that is. What? You don't enjoy cornhole? No, it's no, stupid. I call you don't it bags, but whatever. Is? It's stupid. It's like, ooh, throw it over here. No, it's dumb. No, it's like it. it's like horseshoes. It's like basketball. You're what am I getting out of this? Beersby. Beersby's a good game. I'm assuming that includes beers and frisbee. So no, I've never played That's correct. that. No, it, like you put a beer basically on a typically a PVC pipe, and you aim the frisbee at the PVC pipe. If it hits it, the beer will fall. You got to catch the beer before it falls. I know. That exactly sounds how very that fun. Was created. That's more fun because that's more that's athletic great. than sitting there and throwing bags in cornhole. I don't understand how anybody could hate cornhole of all games Man, for yeah. you to hate. My dad just texted me, and it is a great point. Float trips should go because of ticks and snakes. I never thought of that. Float point. trips are great. I think I'm going to get rid of float trips now. Of course you are. No, we're getting we're sticking with cornhole. It sucks. <laughs> with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by I Promise. Also, hey, our teammate Chris Duncan would have turned 40 this month, and in celebration of his birthday, we brought back the Dunctionary T-shirts for a limited time today. 
Today is the final day that you can order this year's limited edition Dunctionary t-shirt. Proceeds from all sales go to support the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. Huge thanks to CarStar, your auto body repair experts for this year's Dunctionary t-shirt campaign. Check it out. Go online, 101ESPN.com. Again, today is the final day to order these, so make sure you get your order in on 101ESPN.com. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Hope you enjoyed today's show. We had a lot of fun with it. Uh, earlier today, we talked to John Stockstill, who has been an MLB scout or a front office executive in some capacity for the last 30 years. Had a great conversation with him, formerly with the Cubs. Now let's go out to, uh, I believe they are down at Budweiser Brewhouse um, for today's Cardinals-Cubs game. The fast lane's down there. We've got BT to cross things over. BT, what's going on, man? What's going on, fellas? Yeah, we're out here at the uh, Beer Garden and uh, looking forward to seeing everybody come hang out today. Man, it's Cardinals Cubs. There's already a vibe downtown. Everybody's uh, starting to show up. I've seen a lot of Cubs jerseys already. You know, oh. they, they're not working. They take the day off. Uh, Cardinal fans, you know, have jobs first and then, then they're going to show up to the ballpark. But it's going to be fun, fellas. Are you noticing that there's going to be 30,000 people in Bush Stadium downtown and right 40, now? 40,000 downtown. Down. Well, because you got the, yeah, the right, 9,000 well. over at Enterprise. Yeah, it's going to be great. I, I have not seen uh, any Avs fans yet. Well, that's uh, good. That, they stayed that, back in Colorado. That's probably safer for them. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's going to be it's just a fun vibe downtown, right? This is the stuff that we ended up yeah. missing so much last year is the, the energy around the games while we were sitting at home and watching them and, and still entertained by them. There wasn't that energy that we had before. So uh, we got some of that this weekend, certainly. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you got, you got the Blues fighting for their lives right up the street. So it's going to be an awesome day. It is. And Nolan Arenado is taking on the Cubs in a Cardinals uniform for the first time at home with 30,000 fans in the stands. BT, you've been a part of that rivalry. What's this going to be like? What is the experience this weekend going to be like for Nolan Arenado? Yeah, well, I think for him, I mean, look, Nolan has uh, he's played against everybody. He's played everywhere. He's uh, he's had almost every experience. But it is different, right? When you put on a different uniform and then you face a a foe like a, a nemesis and you get get to kind of feel some of that rivalry that's there so I'm sure that he'll feed off of the energy energy is something that Nolan Arenado has no problem <laughs> being able to, to have some of you you watch the guy he's constantly moving around he's ready to rock and roll all the time but you know he's gonna feed off of this and uh, I, I, I was thinking about it from the other side right you think about this as you're the Cubs you're coming into Bush Stadium and for the first time you see that guy in that uniform, 28, Arenado at the hot corner batting fourth. And it's like, ah, crap. Like, we, we knew they had Goldie already. Apparently, Tommy Edmond is uh, the real deal. They get this uh, young kid, Dylan Carlson, who just gets on base at an incredible clip. Like, all of a sudden, within a year, 
things feel a lot different, I, I would think, from the Cubs' perspective as you head into Bush Stadium. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny. It's it, almost ironic in some ways. The Cubs had this, the dynasty that never was, really. They, they win the one World, World Series, and they were expecting to have so much more. And then at the end of that tunnel, as they're getting to go into their downward spiral, whether it be the rest of this year or starting next year, the Cardinals are now starting to go on the upward trajectory, even though they never actually went away. So uh, that's the difference. Like, if you're a Cardinals fan and you're, you're saying to yourself, you love or you hate the way that they build. This is this is the sustainable model, which is a lot different than what we're seeing over in Chicago. BT, what's coming up today on the fast lane, my man? Man, all kinds of good stuff. We're going to talk to your guy in a little bit, Danny Mack. We'll break down the series with him. We got Matt Holiday at uh, three o'clock, and we're going to get a chance to talk to him. I want to talk to him about the Tony Larusa situation in Chicago, and we haven't talked to Albert as a Dodger. We talked to him last Friday, right before the news hit. So, all kinds of good stuff today. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back on Monday at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Weird ass Minnesota twins. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise. Anticipation is building. The holidays are just around the corner and at the Home Depot, we can't wait. With Black Friday savings all through November, you can count down to Christmas early with a Santa countdown inflatable special buy only $69.98. Or anticipate when friends and family come to visit with an entrance full of LED lights that will welcome them and the holidays with open arms. Get the holiday magic started early. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.